Mr. Hahn, you fought well yesterday. Your style is unorthodox, but effective. It is not the art, but the combat that you enjoy. Go winning. We are all ready to win, just as we are born knowing only life. It is defeat that you must learn to prepare for. I don't waste my time with it. When it comes, I won't even notice. Oh, how so? I'll be too busy looking good. What were you looking for when you attacked my guards? Wasn't me. You were the only man outside the palace. I was outside, but I wasn't the only one. You will tell me who else. Mr. Han, suddenly I like to leave your island. It is not possible. Bullshit, Mr. Handman. Man. You come right out of a comic book. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. Mind expansion engaged. edition of Afronor Radio's The Grindhouse Podcast, the infamous Grindhouse Podcast, you too can join in on the fun, aka the discourse, the call-in number is 646-915-9620, again, 646-9620. We are expecting a highly acclaimed, favored guest, a consummate run-in partner, because <laughs> we come, we, we uh, bump heads when we go to these conventions, uh, fan favorite, certainly uh, has an open-door policy at Afrodor Machine Works, Mr. David Walker is coming through, and he has a project on Kickstarter, which, which I want our listenership to definitely contribute to, because I think it's important. I think I, think I smell another, 
another movie in the works for this gentleman. I just got a feeling. Yeah, we we need to we need to see another black uh, spin on the spaghetti western. And he has a comic book, a graphic novel, again courtesy of Kickstarter called The Hated. The Hated. So when you go to our AfronaRadio.com broadcasting page, there's a link to the Kickstarter campaign. And again, we would really want our listenership to contribute to such a a valued and interesting project. So he's coming through. And then we also have what we always do. You know, we got a lot to discuss, a lot more uh, for on our plate as always. So again, 646-915-9620. So, you know, look, there's me, (laughs) D-Bert. There's the uncanny, the uncanny Daryl B. I think he's coming through. And of course you have Captain Kirk. But we also have the... Herb Alt, Black Rock, Psychedelic Soul, all the good stuff that conventional corporate media just doesn't want you to listen to. But you can listen to it here. So, as we wait for Mr. Walker, let's go to one of those jammy jams. This is one of my favorite groups, Weapon of Choice. Weapon of Choice, lesser known, West Coast, Bay Area. Maybe even Mr. Walker might be familiar with Weapon of Choice, but I would describe them as a excellent fusion of fishbone and and uh, funkadelic, let's put it that way. I think they've actually toured with funkadelic, but again, weapon of choice. And this is you owe it to you. You owe it to you. Weapon of choice. Let's get to it, folks. Let's groove. Thank you. 
indubitably, regrettably, pulling out the phaser once again, that was a weapon of choice. You owe it to you. You owe it to you. Definitely check out weapon of choice. And you have a choice to listen after the featuring Captain Kirk. This is the Grindhouse. He is the captain. Captain, you're needed on Rigel 24 times 3 to the ninth power. Inf power. Let's get to it, sir. Let's get to it. all that static I heard in my music or was I just hearing things <laughs> that might have been you hearing things I didn't I didn't really hear any static. it sounded pretty good actually oh. okay, okay so okay. so I think I think our uh our friend is here uh the great David Walker I'm trying to get all these um you know theater of the mind things and I just don't have it <laughs> so uh you know what let's just let me just bring him in because uh we got it like that you know what? Let me get my applause ready, though. We got to do it the right way for this gentleman. Uh, definitely a um, what is the word that they use for someone who who can do everything? Um, like Paul Robeson. Uh, what is that word? I can't think of it. <laughs> He'll help me. Let me just bring Dave in. Uh, you know what? Can you do it? Because my my boards are sticky, Captain. Unfortunately. Mr. Walker. Hello. What's up? Hey. How are you? How are you? The word you're looking for is, is just annoying. No, no, like no, annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not it. That's a, um, what is it? Poly, poly, polymath, I think. Polymath, thank you. Um, who's, oh, Daddy or, or polyamorous or something. I don't know. Oh, well. <laughs> that's a big that's word. A I don't show. know what that means. Yeah. That's a different show. <laughs> We're working on that show, Dave. We're working on that show, but no, you're a polymath for this brand. Um, okay. Good to hear. Okay. Good to hear from you. Um, yeah, good to, good, to, good to be back on. It's been a long time. Yes, yes. Well, you look. Anytime you have something you want to, you know, you want to pitch or you know throw out there, you're, you're more than welcome to come through. Uh, very easy to have you on. I appreciate that. And good look, to be back. Uh, good to be back. Definitely. And let me tell you. Um, wow. You know, you, you come up with these projects, and I'm looking at the hated. I'm like, okay, this is a movie. <laughs> I mean, this is, this, this is. I mean, I don't know if you're angling for that, but you know, you tell us again. We're talking to David Walker, uh, Frederick Douglass, Cyborg, Luke Cage. He does it all. So now you're doing a black spin on the spaghetti western. Uh, you tell us about the hated. Okay, well, you know, it's it's funny. It's it's actually started out as a screenplay that I wrote 
probably close to 30 years ago, which was, um, you know, it was, a, it was a black Western, very much in the, the vibe of a, a cross between spaghetti Westerns and black exploitation. And it was, it was something that I was, I was very proud of at the time. And it's every few years I'd go back and look at it and be like, I should do something with this, you know? And, and there's a lot of comic book writers who um, are, you know, started out doing screenplays that never got produced and they decide to turn that screenplay into a comic. And I was, I was hesitant to do that, but I was, I was looking at my Western and thinking, you know, this might work. And that was about three years ago. And then it just began to evolve into something else. So, so what people will read when the hated comes out is based on a script that I wrote, we'll say 30 years ago when I was about 20. Um, but it's also it's become so much more, and and it it was uh, if you watch a lot of spaghetti westerns as I've done, they it was their interpretation of the Hollywood western, which both ended up writing their own specific mythologies of of the old west, neither of which were necessarily true, and that's when I started thinking you know this is what I want to do I want to rewrite the myth of the old west and and then I was like you know what would be dope would be if it was set in in a at a time and place when the Civil War came out differently, I didn't want to do the the standard. Oh, the South won the war because that's been done. I, I felt like what would have happened if they'd reached an impasse. Which, if you really truly look at the history of of America since then, it's kind of what happened. You know, even though that the, there was a decisive victory by the North. Well, you know, Reconstruction failed, and the failure of Reconstruction was the defeat of the North. You know, so, so that's the hate it is. But it's like you know, Pam Greer in a spaghetti western. Ooh, <laughs> man, you just mentioned the wow. I have, you know, I had to think about uh, about uh, Pam Greer as, as many of us. Matter of fact, um, Grease Lightning was on TV a few days ago, and I happened to revisit that film. And you, when you okay. when you start to when you start to look at these things. Um, you look at you look at them from a different perspective now. You know, you're not like a little kid looking at it. Now you're an adult, and you see. You know, I really appreciate even those those earlier black films what they were really trying to say. Uh, now yep. it, it seems like we're in a space where we can do a bit more, and we can actually, like you said, um, even with your description, it, it would play out differently than just like the conventional western because now it's more of an alternative history slash yep. western. So what what made exactly. you decide to go in that direction? Because uh, if I remember correctly, HBO had a had some kind of um, alternative history take. The same guys that did Game of Thrones, they were trying to do. Yeah, I think yeah. it was called Confederate, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, so what yeah. are your thoughts about that? Exploring the, the alternative well, history I, aspect of it. I had been also separately developing this alternative history project for a long time. That was, you know, more of your standard. Oh, what if the South had won the war, right? Mm. And uh, and that had been sitting around for a long time, and and it w- it just wasn't quite working. And part of the reason it wasn't working for me was from a very realistic standpoint. If you if you really study the Civil War, most historians agree that that slavery in itself was was getting to the point where it was unsustainable, and the, and the South was going to have to give it up, right? Yeah, that's not necessarily. We don't know if that's really would have happened, but there was that speculation. And and as I was trying to write a story that was more contemporary where there was still slavery, there was a whole lot of stuff 
that I was having trouble rec- reconciling in terms of logic. Um, so I put that project on the back burner for a long time, and, and that was called The Conductor. And that was like essentially a 70s black exploitation only set in the world where, you know, basically only New York, New Jersey, the, 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 basically the tri state area is the only part of the country where there's no slavery, right? And it just was like it never came, quite came together. But about three years ago, when I was working on my Western, you know, trying to update it to be a, a, from a film to a comic, I just started thinking about what are some of the things that I could do differently. And and you know what would set this apart from other westerns? You know you don't you don't want to do something that's been done a million times, and and it was everything from, you know what if, what if they had invented the camera before the Civil War? You know so what if there was newsreel footage of the Civil War? You know there's all kinds of crazy stuff. And then at one point I was like, well wait a minute, not what would have happened if um if the South had won? What would have happened in in this other context? Because so many crazy, so many terrible things happened in this country after the war that the Union did. You know that that, that essentially the Northern Army did, including the you know the Plains Indians War of the of the late 1800s, and and you know the the building of the railroad, all the stuff. And I was like, well, all that would have been different. And so that's when I was like, oh, th- this is where your Western has to go. So I took the the core story that I'd written, and then I just began to change the backstory to it. And so now there's there's just this this history that is hinted at at the surface and if if I can make this series go long enough, you know, then we'll see like the the you know what happened to John Brown in this world, what happened to Frederick Douglass in this world, what happened to Jesse James in this world. So there's there's and I've written out their histories, it's just you know, first we got to get the first few comics out. So, yeah. Um when you you know, being that you you had the idea for this thing, um, or as you said, maybe a rough draft thirty years ago, what what did were you, were you conscious of having to? I mean, you referenced this. Were you conscious of having to do updates, or what were the updates you had to do? Because now we're in a different, we have different sensibilities, which I'm yeah, adjusting yeah, yeah, to. No. Uh, you have a heroine. <laughs> so much. You, you have you know you have a, yeah. you have a woman in the hel- in, in helming this thing, and even that. Has its own uh, considerations because you know you you you're a male, <laughs> so now yeah. I'm learning that there's such a thing as male biases. I don't you know that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. So well, how, do you, how do you how do you well say that say that Captain? What is that again? I was, I was going to say something. Go ahead. <laughs> no, well, well, I, look. Why did the know, man uh, write it? Go ahead. <laughs> well, that's, what well, that's, so, how, that's who we're questioning you. That's what that's a question. Yeah, yeah, no, the, that's yeah. a great question. And so, the the script as I wrote it, you know, thirty years ago, it was it was very much a traditional western, only with a predominantly black cast. But there was no there were no strong female characters in it, right? Um, you know, this is something I wrote. We'll say I was twenty years old at the time, and I've been watching both John Ford movies and Sergio Leone movies. And, and most of these movies don't have strong female characters. And, and I didn't realize that at the time when I was younger, but as I was dusting this thing off and I, and I read it for the first time in many years, the first thing that went through my head was there are no, there's no strong women in this, this story. And, and so I was like, okay, well that's, that's a problem for me right now. And I think it'd be a problem for readers. And, and so I, I just looked at the main cast 
and I said, which one of these would make the most sense to be a woman? And I, there, was, there was one character in there. I was like, yeah, I, I could turn this character into a woman, and, and it would, it, the story would still work. And then I fell in love with that character so much that I got rid of like three other characters and began to focus in on her story. And, and right around the time I'd made the de- actually made the decision to, to bring a, a female you know, co – at the time she was a co-lead. Now she's the lead. I was also doing research on my, my Frederick graphic novel, and, and that was having a huge impact on me because I was reading about history, and, and there was – I was reading all the stuff about Harriet Tubman. This is long before this movie came out. Um, this was probably two years ago, and I was like, oh, Harriet Tubman was like – a total badass, you know, and and in my head, I, I there's a moment where I said, you know, it would have been great if, like, in 1973, they had made a Harriet Tubman movie starring Pam Greer, and then that thought, everything sort of lined up. I was like, okay, you, you're already starting to write that story. You've got this co-lead now. If she could just be the lead, you could get rid of all these other male characters or or push them off to the side and have them be secondary characters, and so. That was the first. That was the big decision, and then I started thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to write her? Let me make sure that I'm not writing, um, you know, something that's that's too exploitative in terms of, if you watch something like Foxy Brown or Coffee, those, those can be very exploitative, sort of titillating movies. There's there's a high degree of sex and sexuality to it, and I was like, no, I want this to be, I don't want to go that far. I want her to be a woman, but she's she's a badass killer too. You know, she's she's the woman with no name basically. Um, and and so I just started talking to you know a lot of my friends who are writers who who also happen to be women and just sort of picking their brains and and really getting deep into the character. Captain, any any questions for Mr. Walker about the hated? No, I got other questions, but let me elaborate <laughs> some more on the hate. I got other questions though. The question would be: the question would be, you know, since the last time you were here, how yeah. has the geek atmosphere changed for you? Pause. Has it improved? Are they treating you even better still? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's so funny because I was just having this conversation with someone the other day, right? I've got no complaints with how people treat me, and and I there's not a day goes by where I don't think that where I don't acknowledge how how fortunate I I am and continue to be, um, not only within the nerd or geek realm of things, but if you want to look at it a little more closely and, and go into like, you know, the black nerds or the blurds, whatever you want to call them, you know, um, like that, that group is, has been very welcoming and very supportive. And, and, and I haven't lost sight of that. And, and I, you know, part of what I want to do is get to that point where, cause I'm old enough to remember when I, I felt like I didn't belong. You know, I'd go to a comic convention. I wouldn't see a lot of black folks. I wouldn't see, you know, there'd just be me and maybe my cousin and a few other people. Um, I don't ever want anyone to feel like they don't belong in that, you know, in those spaces. But part of is I also don't want anyone to be looking for stories and not being able to find themselves, you know. So uh, I think things are, you know, 
some things get better, some things get worse. And, and, and for me, in terms of my career, one of the things I really thought about was, well, I need to take more control of my career. I, I can't be relying on a company like Marvel or DC to give me work, you know, for me to be a freelancer. If I do that, then I'm, I'm just, I'm waiting for a handout essentially. And, and, and more importantly, they don't have the same priorities in terms of not just story, but representation and inclusion that, that were important to me. So I, I, that's, that was the beginning of me wanting to do more stuff on my own. Well, you know, what, what was the reasoning behind the hated as, as an independent project? Like, in other words, was this something that, did you ever have any considerations of, of, um, submitting this to a Marvel or DC or an image or, were they? Do you think that they were? They would have been reluctant to pursue this, or you really wanted to just do it at, purely as an independent kind of thing? So it's it's a combination of things. One, you know, I I would have there's there's a couple publishers out there that deal with you know what we call creator owned comics. Images is the best of them. Um, there's there's other ones that do it. Marvel and DC don't do that. Um, and I talked to some of these publishers, and and honestly, there was a couple offers that were made to me. But there was two things. One is nobody was offering me that much money up front, and I needed money to pay an artist, you know, an artist, a colorist, a letterer, and nobody was offering me more money than I already had in my pocket, part one of it. And part two of it was um, – it was like how – do, how do I put this? Every, every publisher you talk to, with the exception of Image, wanted a piece of the pie. They wanted to become partial owners of, of the property, and I just couldn't get down with that. I was it was like not for not for like three or four thousand dollars are you gonna have some of my blood, sweat, and tears. It would meant that they would be able to shop it for film or TV, that they would have control over what, what happened with it. And I just couldn't get down with that program. And then the third most crucial part was I didn't want anybody Telling me, oh, we don't know if a black western can sell, or we don't know, you know, or we don't know how to find that audience. Because if if a company put it out and it didn't do well, they would be not only using that as an excuse to say, oh, we, you know, we're not going to ever do another black western, or we're never going to do another comic with David Walker because we lost all this money on him, or all kinds of excuses. And I was like, you know, I have enough confidence in myself as a creator. Within, I have enough confidence in the, the larger fan base of comics, but I really have absolute belief in, in the black nerd culture, right? And I was like, if I do this on my own, I know I'm going to find that support, and I'm going to find that support on my terms as opposed to the terms of another publisher. And, and you know, I, I have a business partner who's, who's also my cousin, my best friend, and we talked about it. We were at a meeting like a year and a half ago. And someone offered me money to do to put out the hated, put out the comic. It was like they wanted 25% ownership, and I was like, no, you know, you. It, 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 suddenly, I felt like I was a sharecropper, you know, and I was like, I'm just not going to do that to myself. And and it really came down to, you know, like shows like this and and folks like you who I've gotten to know over the last several years, going, all right, I, I think I can leverage these relationships. And and you know I can go to a show like the one at the Schomburg, or I can do a show at you know come to New York Comic Con, do these things. I can reach I can reach the people who want this, and and it's going to take some you know 
selling some stuff out of the trunk of my car. But if I got to do it, I got to do it. Yeah, I hear that. You know, it's it's, it's frustrating because every time you and I get together and we talk about this stuff, um, you know, the thing that really is, I guess, irritating is we know, I think, in our hearts and minds that this stuff can work. And there's such a thirst for these for these kind of projects. And the idea of of a black Western, I mean, look, Django made, which was, yeah. you know, uh, of course, you had the uh, Tarantino name behind it. But even Tarantino, yep. you know, the kind of the kind of stuff that he does there's nothing. It was nothing really written in stone that it was going to work either. But that movie made almost yeah. half a billion dollars, and you know yeah. it's, it's about slavery. But you know he had he had a list talent behind him. But I ended, but at at the end of the day, if a Django Unchained can work, then why not the Hated? And um, yeah. it's it, right now there's just a thirst, I think, from all people, not just black people, actually, um, cross racially. I think this stuff is 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 so um, uh, titillating to the eye to see something radically different than what we've seen before. I think seeing yeah. a, a, a a powerful black woman, um, dare I say, beauteous. That's a whole thing. Now you got to be careful about you know being yeah. attracted to women. But anyway, I, I'm yeah. going to say it. If you if you had a very like a Pam a Pam Greer of today, although I still like Pam Greer, but Pam Greer of today. Yeah. Someone doing that role, badass, and really, kick, you know, just I can just envision it. We haven't seen that. Who wouldn't want to yep. see that? Whatever your uh, strata is, you would be into that. Anybody would. But this whole constant, um, you know, just naysayer attitude towards black projects, unless it's like, you know, something that's that's a stereotype. You know, that, no one wants to see that anymore. You know, matter of no, fact, I'm something else. I'm with you on that. Something else. Hmm. So. What, what what you and I are both devotees to um, black exploitation cinema. Yeah. Do you do you think there's room for neo black exploitation? Like I think there should be updates to some of the IPs going back thirty forty years ago. What are your thoughts oh, about? I, that? I, I mean, agree. Did, did one, I agree one hundred percent. I you know I didn't see the new Shaft movie, even though I I was interviewed for the Blu-ray. I still haven't seen it. Um, I think there's plenty of room to update. Any any one of those properties, some of them could be updated to something more contemporary. Some would work as period pieces, period, you know, um, you know, like like a show like uh, The Deuce or, or, or one of those things. There's been this other one that just debuted, um, Hunters, is, is a oh, period yeah. piece. So so I think there's room for it, but the key is, and I, and I had a meeting recently down in in L.A. about this, and with an executive, and they said they said to me, what did what did this new Shaft movie do wrong? And I said, well, I could give you a long list, but the short answer is it lost sight of the heart and soul of the character. And and this executive said to me, well, well, what's the heart and soul of the character? And I said, well, you have to go back to the original novels by Ernest Tidyman, and, and he wrote Shaft as a, as a man who is really good at one thing, and he's not, he's not happy about that. And And the executive was like, Oh, I didn't even know there were any books. And I was like, oh. well, there you go. You oh, know? my God. So, so I, I mean, like, I, I've had a couple meetings where I've told people, you know, like, okay, I've got a really great idea on how to update Sheba Baby. You know, I've got a really great idea for how to update, you know, or how to reboot Shaft, Sheba Baby. There's like three or four that I, that I know I could do. You just got to give me the money to do it. I'm not like, no, the freebies are all gone, you know, so – um 
and I think that 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 that's sort of where we're at is um there's all these IPs that are are sitting around dormant and and the danger is is you, you give them to the wrong person you know you go okay yeah we're going to do shaft again let's dust it off we're going to turn it into a comedy and no you don't do that oh, you know um, and 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 but with between you know Netflix and Epics and and Amazon and Hulu and Disney Plus all these streaming services that are popping up it's like they're hungry for content but they don't necessarily know what they're doing with the content you know and and that's the there's nothing scarier than when it's like oh they're going to mess this up aren't they you know um, I want to bring in Sergio Mims, our friend, uh, also Chi-Town's resident cineast. This is definitely his bailiwick. Not only does he love Bond films, he loves Westerns, he loves Blushploitation. We go on and on and on about Three the Hard Way, which could be updated as well, I suspect. Uh, I would love to yes. see that as an update. And uh, something else that came to my mind, too, that, that's worthy of being updated. Um, wow, what was, I was just thinking about it, too. Oh, you know, there, we, we're, there's so many people going on and on and on about a Bond movie that's coming up and the, the young woman that, that was in Ms., uh, uh, Captain Marvel and how she's going mm-hmm. to be a – I guess she's going to take the 007 uh, designation. I don't think it's going to be a full – like she's not – obviously she's not going to be James Bond, but she's going to be 007. Yeah. But I, I – I, you know, so many of us are so thirsty to take over quote-unquote white IPs and I'm saying, you know, there's yeah. such a such a person as Cleopatra Jones, who yeah, I think yeah, could yeah. be updated, who actually referenced James Bond as being kind of in the same universe. <laughs> if so, I mean, I mean, if you're gonna get ultra geeky, I would like to see. We grew up with that kind of strong. She was like over six foot tall. Uh, Tamara Dobson, yeah. fine, kicking ass, had a Corvette. I mean, a, 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 an equipped Corvette, and we're still talking yeah, about yeah. like trying to. <laughs> Glean on Bond. We have a Bond already, a female Bond, yeah, forty dang. years ago. <laughs> anyway, let, let me bring in Sergio because I know you, he's he's just teething to talk about this. Hold on, okay. uh, Serge. How are you, my friend? Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm here. Oops. I know you're ready to rock yes, and roll. I'm here. Uh, hello, you're Mr. Speaking... Walker. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. How are you? Well, you know, the thing about it was that. Um, uh, originally I wasn't going to call in first, but when you were talking about your project, of course I I love westerns. They're my favorite genre. I've written two western screenplays, mm-hmm. and um, one maybe could be turned into a comic book. I'd never really considered that before. But um, the thing about it is that during these update of the um, Blackfortation movies. Yeah, that's all fine and good. That's one problem. Casting. Casting. You know, I mean, no, I see, where I don't, I, are I don't think Jim Browns of today? Where are the Fred Williamsons of today? Where are the Jim Kellys of today? Where are the Pam Greers of today? I, well, she's still around, of course. But, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, the problem is that if they wanted to do Three the Hard Way, they'd, try to pro- they'd probably try to cast Billy Porter. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Well, I'm okay. going there because you know they would do it. Cleopatra Jones with Lizzo. You know, look. I, uh, okay. Well, <laughs> wait. Okay. I gotta get a disclaimer ready for this kind of stuff. No. But go ahead. I'm trying to. You're no. gonna get me kicked off. <laughs> you blew up the spot. I, but, but, I, I, I think. What is he yeah. saying? Is this the point? 
No, I, there's. I, I think that there's a ton of great actors out there. There's a ton of great black actors out there that we've never even heard of or that we barely see, right? So, yeah, right. Um, you know, if if you know Idris Elba is at the, is at the top of everybody's list to be in one thing or another, but um, you know, I was I was having this conversation and they said, you know, if you had, if you had made Shaft, who would you have cast? And and I was like. There's there's three actors I would have cast, and of course I can't remember any of their names because they all have um, these really strong African names, right? Oh, but okay. one, uh-huh. one is one is the brother who's on um, uh, uh, on Watchmen who played Doctor Manhattan. Um, uh-huh. The other is is the brother who's um, uh, 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 he was on um, The Wire. He played Chris Partlow, and uh, and then there's the but the actor who I really think should play. Uh, Shaft probably is um, now. I can't think of his name either. I'm terrible. It's it's the brother who was in Moonlight, and and then he was in um, uh, Bird Box with Sandra Bullock. And and okay. I, again, oh, I know. okay, uh, I know that guy. Yeah, he's he's on the yeah. yeah you, and and, yeah, well, and you, you see, know you look at like see, the, but I don't need point. a name actor. I don't need a name actor. I just want to see a badass movie, you know, and and I think that we can, the the you know, between actors here in the U.S., actors in the U.K., actors out of Nigeria and other parts of Africa, they're there. We just we're just too busy trying to keep recasting. Will Smith can't be in everything. Chadwick Boseman can't be in everything, and and so let's try something different, you know. Let's see what we can do. But they'll tell you, you see, so but, without the big actor. Yeah, I don't but, know about you that. know, I, I mean, we That's we have to go to, we have to go to some Nigerian British actor to play what? that. Now, you know, I, I don't know. I I got a problem. I mean, are, are African American actors lacking that we have to no. go someplace else? No, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I'm just saying there are. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of actors here in the U.S. and abroad that would be great in these roles. The key is, is someone going to take a chance and cast them? And the problem with black actors has always been there. It, it, there's this perception of, of there being a limited pool of them, but it's not that there's a limited pool. It's just they just keep using the same actors over and over again. In the 60s, all, the only person – only two guys who got lead roles – were Sidney Poitier and and Jim Brown, and and for a little while, Woody Strode. Then in the 70s, you had Fred Williamson, Jim Brown, and Jim Kelly. I love all three of those guys. They were iconic actors, but none of them were good actors. You know, none of them were – none of them was James Earl Jones, and James Earl Jones could have played an action hero at that point in his career. You know, uh, Billy Dee Williams was a great actor. Glenn Turman were, were great actors. It's not that the the equivalents of these people aren't around. It's just Hollywood's not trying to look for them. Hollywood's not taking a chance and trying to cast them. We we with with my project uh, that I'm the co-creator of Bitter Root. We, we're having this conversation all the time. Oh, who would be good for this? You know, who would be a good actor? And it's the same three or four names. And I'm like, no, you know, how about this actor who was played a small part over here? You know, how about this actor who you know let's Who's the hottest star on Broadway right now? You know, there's there's always places to look, but people we get too caught up in, you know, the name 
like, oh, we got to get a name actor. No one's going to watch a Shaft TV show unless Jesse Usher is playing, you know, Shaft. And that's not true. That's not true. Well, you know something? Um, I'm I'm digging this uh, this NBC show, uh, Lincoln Rhyme. You know, the the extension of the uh, Bone oh, Collector. Oh yeah, the, the Bone Collector. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I really like that series. Believe it or not, it's not really a. It's more. I don't know if you would call it a reboot. It's definitely not a. It's definitely not a sequel. But yeah. um, that particular gentleman, who I, I, I think he was in uh, Grimm, also on yep, NBC, he on so he's kind of staying in it. So th- that particular actor I've been following for a couple of years. He and he's a, a American actor. Last time I, I checked. I mean, look, I, I would like to think of myself as a Pan Africanist. However, yeah, uh, this whole ADOS thing that's out here, American descendants of slavery, and you know this kind of tribal new nouveau tribalism that's kind of coming up. Um, yeah, I understand. I I do understand it. I know Samuel Jackson came out and made some comments about, well, look, what's going on when you have. Um, uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Get Out doing a, a in, inherently African American male role, and he's black British. And look, I, I, I like the black Brits. I mean, you know, I'm kind of a, an Anglophile yeah. to be honest with you, but I do think there is something going on where you know we're kind of not actively looking. That, that's I believe I agree with you though. I think that's the system. That's the Hollywood system. Yeah. It's just just kind of just kind of getting look. The same reason why we're not able to listen to the same kind of the kind of music we want to listen to, well, we can't hear we can't hear Bad Brains on the radio or Fishbone the way I would want to hear, or or, or uh, classic Prince is the same system that says that well you black people aren't the kind of black people we can work with. I, yeah. I mean that's what I think is going on. I'm just saying it like it is. Yeah, well, I yeah, mean, no, you got. Daniel... We'll, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Dave. No, no, go on, go on, go on. I've been yammering. No, I was going to say, you have Daniel Kalula. Now, he's a fine actor. He's a fine actor. But he's going to be playing Fred Hampton. Wow. And I was like, wait I went, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, I'm in Chicago, so Fred Hampton has this legacy, you know. Yeah. And I go, yeah. you you got this guy, play, first of all, who who was killed long before, you know, Daniel Kalula was even born. Daniel Kalula, I'm sure, never even heard of this guy before. And then number three, he doesn't look anything like Fred Hampton, not even remotely. Now, I understand he's a name, and, you know, he can bring attention to a project. But come on. You mean you couldn't find an African-American he, actor he, he, to play Fred Hampton? And I'm not going to go down that road because – um, I was that person. I used to be that person who was like, you know, Michael Keaton could never play Batman, and Denzel Washington is too dark to play Malcolm X. And yeah. here's the thing. I don't care if he doesn't look anything like Fred Hampton. I had that same reaction initially. I want the best actor to give a great performance in a good movie. If I want to know more about – really, truly know more about Fred Hampton, I'm never going to watch a movie about him. I'm going to read a book, and, and that's the problem that we get into. Robert De Niro didn't look nothing like Jake LaMotta, but he he played a great yep. part. You know, uh, Diana Ross looked nothing like Billie Holiday and sounded nothing like Billie Holiday. I mean, that was you want to talk about a bad comparison? 
her her singing, she sang the whole soundtrack in Lady Sings the Blues. Not a single song sounds like a Billie Holiday song. Still a great movie. It's it's if we put too much importance on the things that each each individual of us thinks is important, nothing would ever get made. And 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 will he be? You know, I have faith in uh, that that the, the Fred Hampton movie is called um, Jesus Was My Homeboy. Yeah, I've got right. faith in in the filmmakers, you know, and and that that they've made the right decisions. Now, if they don't make the right decisions, if the movie's terrible, I'm gonna cuss them out, you know. Um, but it was like when I watched uh, uh, Dolomite Is My Name on Netflix. Mm. I love that movie, but. Eddie Murphy didn't look anything like Rudy Ray Moore. He didn't sound anything like Rudy Ray Moore, but he it was a it was still a good movie. And 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 if we put too much importance on on things like does so and so look like this person or they, you know, we get too lost. I think I think we we run the risk of, you know, I would I would be happy to see the as long as the actor does a great performance you know, and that's that's the thing. I was we were talking about Malcolm X, about Spike Lee's Malcolm X the other day, me and some friends, and I was like, hey, I love that movie, but you know, I also read the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley. You know, like I had, I knew more about Malcolm going in. I don't use any film as being the the, the basis for everything that I, I learn about somebody, and yeah, and that's then, where things get dangerous. Yeah, but then the other thing with Eddie Murphy, which is was one of the absolutely one of my favorite movies from last year with Dolomite was my name. Eddie Murphy was raised yeah. on Dolomite, like I was. You know, he yeah. knew who Eddie. I mean, he knew who Rudy Ray Moore was. He understand that humor. He grew up with that thing. So did I. Daniel Kalula. I mean, what does he know about? You know, I, I remember uh, a quote he made when he made Queen and Slim, where he said in order to prepare for the row, he hung up for three weeks in Cleveland, hanging out with some brothers. And I'm going like, well, okay, he had to do that to try to figure out how to play this ordinary brother in Cleveland. Uh, how is he going to prepare for Fred Hampton? You know, yes, you can read all the books you can and articles, and you can find video. I don't think there's a lot, but you can see all the videos you can. But, you know, he's so far removed from that experience that, you know, I, I still can't really figure out how he's going to get into that role. So let me ask you this. I'll put you on the spot. You've got okay. five seconds. Who would you cast as Fred Hampton? Well, five, you see, I would, you see, four, I would go for an unknown. Three. Well, there you go. But are you going to go for an unknown who knows everything about Fred Hampton's life? Or are you going to go for an unknown who looks like Fred Hampton? Or are you going to go for an unknown who – there's so many factors that are involved. Again, this is why I don't, I, I don't get caught up in that anymore. You know, I, oh, Joaquin Phoenix is playing the Joker. He doesn't look anything like the Joker. I, I don't care. I, I, all I want is something to be good and engaging. I don't even need stuff to be – that accurate anymore because as someone who works in the industry, I get that accuracy always takes a backseat to quality and, and, you know, you, you get caught up in it, you know, is, 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 is he going to be the right actor to play Fred Hampton? I have no idea, but, you know, we, I guarantee you that 
anybody who gets cast in a part like that is always – there's always going to be people who say, nope, it's not going to work. Nope, it's not going to work. And I've just become that person who says, let's just wait and see. You know, Let's just wait and see if it works because, again, you, you, there's, there's a faith in – you got to have faith in the actors. You got to have faith in the directors. You got to have faith in you know, um, the, the, the script, all that sort of stuff. And you know, Fred Hampton is somebody who – like I hold in the highest regard, you know, um, one of my personal heroes. But you know, if I were to use my knowledge of Fred Hampton by comparison to anybody else's, most people are going to lose. You know what I'm saying? And that's where you're coming from too. You're from Chicago. You have this this I'm assuming this great, you know, respect and 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 and. Um, admiration for the man, and and it's all well deserved. But you know, if somebody can make a decent movie that then gets someone watching the documentary, the murder of Fred Hampton, or reading the book, the the murder of Fred Hampton, or you know, really digging deep, then then that in and of itself is a beautiful thing. On that note, Dave, I want you to I want you to hold for a minute. Um, I want to go to yeah. a quick groove, and I want to actually explore some of your some of the bitter root stuff, if you can yeah. tell us what you can tell us, uh, some of your other projects, uh, and also to our listenership. We, it's quite a few folks I see on on the telephone line. I know a lot of a lot of our listeners like to listen in their cars and so forth on their on their uh, smartphones. But if you like to join in on the discourse, speak to Mr. David Walker about the hated about bitter root. Uh, simply call 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. Press 1. That way we know that uh, you actually want to join in as opposed to just listen. Anyway, let's go to this quick groove real quick. This is Lou Rawls of all people. Lou Rawls, evil woman. <laughs> Two minutes. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Oh, woman, when I seen you coming... I should have started running, you evil woman. Oh, woman, I offered to you my soul. You ran it over hot coals, evil woman. Oh, woman, I thought you were a blessing, but then I caught you missing. Oh, woman, you ain't got no feelings. Just your dirty dealing. Oh, evil woman, yeah, the Lord's gonna reckon. Evil woman, yeah, the Lord's gonna beckon you. Mm, gonna beckon you. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Woman, people whisper to me. All the hurt you do me. You evil woman. Oh, woman, the way you work your way in, getting on my skin, you evil woman. Oh, woman, the way you laugh at my pain, the way you strip in my brain. Oh, woman, there were other choices. I didn't hear those voices. Oh, evil woman, you're the Lord. Oh, 
written on your tombstone. They will say that you are just an evil woman. They're gonna say that you were just an evil woman with your dirty feelings. Evil woman didn't care about my feelings. Evil woman. All right. Always giving you the absolute best of urban alternative groove, black rock and roll, classic groove. Once again, the mighty Lou Rawls, evil woman going into the past. You know, speaking, you know, kind of uh, dovetailing of what Sergio was talking about, you know, trying to find people to interpret the classics. Who is 2020's version of Lou Rawls? Chris Brown? I think not. I'm just, you know, I got a dick Chris. I got a dick Chris Brown. I mean, he got this cut called what? No guidance, I think. I mean, I, I kind of dig Chris Brown of all people somewhat, but like trying to, trying to fashion the classic talent from 20, 30, 40, 60 years ago. I, we, I think we're lacking. You know, uh, who's the, who's the new Teddy Pendergrass? You know, I don't know. <laughs> They're not looking for. Everyone has these kind of falsetto. Voices, you know, Usher is Chris Brown. Chris Brown's Usher. I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to say, one of the reasons I love listening to this show, though, is because I actually have never heard that song before. I'm a, I'm a Lou Rawls fan. I've got several albums of his, but I'd never heard that song before. This, so there's always, every time I listen to this show, I hear something that from from artists I'm familiar with, but it's a deep cut that I've never heard before. That was a great song. Thanks. Um, well, look, that's that's the thing that's frustrating is not only are we talking about music that is um, like not lesser known music. There's B sides. I mean, if if, if, we, if we ever got a chance to actually have like a serious channel, Sirius XM, or you know some kind of separate imprint just to address the music that we have not heard before, that's the part that's yeah. irritating. I'm, I'm always surrounded by music. Uh, my father played Lou Rawls and Ramsey Lewis, and a lot of the a lot of the jazz greats. So I was raised on jazz and funk. And uh, as I got older, I kind of fell into classic rock. But then I started I started to also do more research about it. Hey, look, there's even m- more modern black rock artists like the Fishbones yeah. and the Bad Brains and Twenty Four Seven. Just they just reunited. I mean, there's a lot of content that we could be exploring, let alone, we're talking about uh, black spaghetti westerns, how we have the music thing a little deeper than just Lizzo and Chris Brown and, you know, uh, Meg Thee Stallion and all these other new acts. I'd like for us to kind of get into this other slice of black life that's that's not explored. Afropunk goes on uh, globally. When I go to the one in Brooklyn, it's like... Uh, it's like it's literally like black Comic Con numbers as far as the kind of people that go to this thing, and yet yeah. we still listen to Chris Brown and Rihanna, and that's that's the end of that's the end of it. Nothing else. So it's very frustrating. <laughs> you know, I can talk about this for uh, a whole separate. <laughs> it's a whole yeah, a whole separate conversation. We start sounding like grumpy old men after a while. I, you know, but look, there's also they can say that, but there's new music. By younger artists, when I go to Afropunk, it is a 20-year-old female, 
usually attractive, <laughs> that's, that's, that's asking me, who is that upstage on stage? Like, well, wait a minute. Why do I know you don't? And that person's yeah. your age. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, it's Liana Lehavis. Liana Lehavis from the UK. Very beautiful, uh, like 29 or whatever. How come you don't know Liana, but I know who she is? So even the kind of old banging off the lawn argument, I, I think we're just in a different space. I think it's something, something, something's going on. Uh, anyway, enough of the music. That's a separate show. Let's get back to Mr. David Walker. All right, so look, I'm excited, as you know, about this Bitterroot thing. Um, yeah. It, it is like the, it's the perfect confluence of what I, I'm, a, I'm a big Harlem Renaissance person, and I'm also into science fiction. So to have that yeah. merger of two worlds is kind of mind-blowing. Uh, there's a homegirl that I, I, I linked you to. If you ever get a chance to check out some of her stuff, her and her husband, um, she has a group called um, Parlor Social. And she, okay. I played her music. I've interviewed her also. And, you know, <laughs> she's not, not hard on the eyes. I know you can't say that. But anyway, <laughs> she's, and she's married. But anyway, <clears throat> she, she has this kind of unique sound called Neo Ragtime. And okay. they, they do, like, they would look, they would be perfect for some kind of Harlem Renaissance project. I'm just putting it out there. Anyway, her yeah, name is yeah. Desi DeLauro, Paula Social. Having said that, where are we with Bitterroot? You know, we see you with legendary badges on, on Instagram. What, <laughs> you know, doing it big, as they say. So you, tell us a little bit about, for even those who may be even familiar, unfamiliar with it, how dare they not know about Bitterroot. But you tell us about Bitterroot and the segue to seeing this on film. Well, um, <clears throat> you know, Bitterroot is a comic that I, I, I co-write, I co-created with. Chuck Brown and Sanford Green. It's out through Image Comics. We we just launched Volume Two, Issue Six, which is the first issue of Volume Two. It takes place during the Harlem Renaissance. It's about a family of monster hunters, and the, the, the monsters that they deal with are people who've been infected by hate and racism. And the, the racism turns them into monsters. And and now what we're seeing in this s- series and the story is this evolution of this this monstrosity and and what we're seeing is now that the the victims of of hate and racism become a completely different type of monster that's that's sort of the the crux of it it was uh optioned last year by legendary pictures um around march or april of last year and then in in september october of last year uh ryan coogler came on board as the producer um, him and him and his entire team, which includes uh, like three or four other people, and you know that's in terms of the stuff that I can I can officially talk about. It doesn't get too much deeper than that. They I, I can say that there there is not a director yet. Um, you know, Kugler is is tied up pretty heavy with um, Black Panther two and and a couple other projects. So so there's a, not much of a chance he'll be the director. Um, and they've been interviewing screenwriters and, and, and you know, there's names have been thrown around. But it, it, the reality is, is that, you know, we got to get a good script first. Then we then we find a director. And there's a couple of names that have been thrown out. And, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, this person will be interesting. And, and um, but I, I tend to be very pragmatic about these things. I'm like, you know, 
let's put it you know one foot in front of the other let's let's make sure we got a script before we worry about getting the director let's make sure we got um you know uh, the the director before we get the cast let's let's do that sort of stuff and you know of course there's actors i'd love to see there's there's a couple directors that i think would would probably do a really great job with it but um you know and and they're they're talking about trying to get it into theater sometime in 2021 so we'll see what happens it's it's a very slow long drawn out process i thought making comics was slow and drawn out this is something else though well you know i tell you um because kugler's name's attached to this thing and i know yeah. i think we all know that kugler is a comic book head yeah was it did, did he did he get get on top of this thing because of the comic book connect? Like, was he aware of the comic book first personally? Do you know that? Yes, I do know for a fact that he, that he was. Um, we were, you know, um, we were having these meetings with Legendary. They had they had the option. They had optioned it, and we were going back and forth about who they they put together a list of who they thought would be good people to approach, and and you know they were showing it to us, and I was I was looking at it. And uh, I had said, you know, Ryan Coogler was on the list, but there was like little asterisks by his name that was like, you know, this is the person we'll never be able to get. And and um, and then a friend of mine had called me and said, you know, oh, you know, I know somebody who who knows somebody who knows Ryan Coogler, and he's a really big fan of uh, of Bitter Root. So I, I reached out to the folks at Legendary and said, hey, you know what? I'm hearing through the rumor mill that, that Ryan Coogler loves the book. You should, you, know, you, got, you should have your people get in touch with his people. And then within a couple of days, his people had gotten in touch with Legendary, a couple of days of the, of the announcement. And, um, and so it was, you know, that in and of itself was really cool. He was, he was definitely paying attention to it, and, and he, he gets the project. He gets what it's about. He's got a really great sensibility about him, and you know, in terms of a, a producer who's who's going to um, make sure that the integrity of this thing remains intact, I can't think of anybody who um, who'd be better suited for it. You know, he's he's definitely got some really good ideas. I, you know, I've seen the movies of his that he's directed. I really like. I thought you know, Creed was one of my favorite movies of. Uh, I think 2015 or whenever it came out, Fruitvale Station, great movie. I enjoyed Black Panther. So, you know, I feel good. I feel good about it. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm not just saying that because everybody who knows me knows that, you know, if I didn't feel good about it, I would, you know, I'd find a way something. to say it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, something about Cougar, um, I, I, I really wasn't necessarily a Cougar uh, a Coogler fan up front. I was leery yeah. of him because I was so protective of the Black Panther. Like being able to have the just in my kind of recesses of my mind to think that there could ever be a a Black Panther a Black Panther movie, and then for his name yeah. to be attached to it, I was like, okay, um, who is this guy? So when yeah. I revisited <laughs> it, when I so when I re, when I when I first saw Black Panther, okay, this is something special. Then I went back and actually checked out the first Creed, uh, and yeah. I was like, "Whoa, this this is incredible!" I was like, yeah. uh, "Okay, this guy might be an auteur." Do you think? Well, <laughs> I think from what you're telling me, it's, it looks like he might be kind of really being cautious and curating your project. 
because he because he knows. Yeah, he's you know the 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 impression that I get is that he's you don't see his name attached to a lot of things, and and so to me that was really. I, you know, there were names being thrown around, and I, I kept saying, you know, well, this this particular person has got their name attached to a lot of projects, and the more names, no, the more projects the name is attached to, sometimes it means the less likely they're they are to pay attention to it. And so when when they first started talking to to Kugler, you know, I was doing the research, you know, how many how many projects is he producing? What is he on board for? And the thing that was really interesting to me was it wasn't a ton of stuff. So I, I, I was like, okay, I, I think that this might be someone who really cares about stuff. I've got a um, some friends who about 10 years ago, they had a property optioned by a really big filmmaker. I, you know, I'm not going to name names or anything like that, but one of the biggest mm-hmm. filmmakers in Hollywood, and it was just one of the biggest filmmakers right now in Hollywood. 10 years ago, mm-hmm. This filmmaker was on the cusp, but he had already optioned like five or six other things, and then his then his his star really started to rise. And, and my friend's project has just been for ten years has been it keeps going into to they keep reoptioning it, but it's probably never going to get made. And and that's the thing, you know, a, a director can only direct so many movies at one time. They can only produce so many movies at one time, and, and you don't want to necessarily get into business with somebody who is is going to slap their name on it but isn't going to be around enough to ensure the quality is there. And and I've got the – you know I, I have the utmost confidence in in his team that they will make it happen, you know? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, again, we know that he's a comic book head, but, you know, his best friend – He's yeah. also a comic book head. A- any inclination? Uh, I guess you, you wouldn't be. Uh, you would have a problem with uh, with uh, Jordan, Michael B. <laughs> in between, in between the Val Zod story. Not say that'd be jo- yeah. kind of funny. You never know. You never know. But if it's, in between you, the Val Zod know. story, would you want him? Would you want him to be in uh, in this project? You know, I, I I'm I'm trying to be really open-minded because you never know who's going to get cast, right? Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. not 10 minutes ago, I was talking about being open to it all. So, um, yeah, I think if, if Jordan came on board, that would be cool, but there's other actors out there, you know, um, who I think could do a really good job in, in, in particular roles within that. I, I, and, again, it's like, okay, let's just wait and see. Let's just wait and see who who they talk to. You know, um, that there's a character in the in in our comic named named Berg, and like I want Brian Tyree Henry to play that part. You know, oh like, yeah, that, that's that's why I desperately want. And for Ford, you know, I would love to see you know maybe like an Idris Elba or someone like that. But there also might be someone out there who you know the name will come up and you'll be like, oh, I'm not sure. And then and then they nail it, you know. It's um, it's it's there was there was a time when they were talking about making a Richard Pryor biopic. They're, they'll always be talking about it, and um, and I want to say one of the Wayans brothers was cast as when when the movie was in development, and um, online you can find his audition footage. And if you had told me one of the Wayans brothers would be, you know, would be great as Richard Pryor, I wouldn't have believed you. But then. I saw this audition tape, and I was like, "Yep, I I I could buy that," 
you know, good actors sometimes bring different levels to the game. And and to me, and I just said this, I've said this to everybody involved with the Bitterroot movie, I was like, just make a good movie. You know, I don't I don't expect you to be one hundred percent faithful to the comic. There's there's things that I don't expect to see in the movie. I just want the movie to be good. I want it to be entertaining. And and I'm gonna trust you guys to do that. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm just happy that we're there, right? I'm just happy that this opportunity is presenting itself because, you know, it's not everybody who gets to make a comic and have that comic be successful. It's not every comic creator who gets to have their property optioned, and then it's not every property that gets optioned that gets attached to one of the hottest filmmakers in, in the industry. I'm like the luckiest cat on the planet. You know, I, I have to remind myself of that. You know, I don't actually have to remind myself of it because I'm aware of it. But every day, you know, I have to give thanks. I have to, I have to count my blessings and, and say, okay, you know, it, it's I, I worked hard for this, and I'm going to continue to work hard. But um, like I know cats out there that are working harder than me, that you know probably got a little bit more talent than me, and they just they it hasn't happened. It doesn't happen for everybody. You know, and and that's why I, I try to remain appreciative and and not be too big of a jerk. I, I can be a jerk sometimes, but well, you know something. Um, you as you were speaking, I was thinking. You know, sometimes we're so we have so much emphasis on like a top brand talent that sometimes mm-hmm. uh, a lesser known person emerges from uh, a smaller role. Like I'm thinking of, um, you know, Don Cheadle is a name now. But we, but yeah, when yeah. we first really became aware of him in Devil in a Blue Dress, when he played Mouse, he was so compelling yeah. in that. And even Terrence Howard, I think he was in Brothers or one of those films where he was such, you know, you were able to see like that one role, put him on a map, and now he's Terrence Howard, and now he's Don yeah. Cheadle. So sometimes you got to find the you got to find the the guy or the gal to do the role, and he he or she is able to like punch it. Then that person all of a sudden is a name brand. So sometimes I think we may have to lay off on like always having to have the person we already know and just find a person who's really talented. And and Cheadle's a great example because he um you know, he's been around a long time. His career goes goes back pretty far. He was on this uh show called Picket Fences, which I think was on oh, yeah. CBS back in the nineties. I remember that. And he, and even then I was like, Oh, this guy's a, a really He's a solid actor, and then you started seeing him turn up in movies, and in a lot of his earlier film roles, he was playing a lot of the same characters. He was playing sort of gangsters and thugs and all that sort of stuff, and he's so much better than that. And then he did the, the movie where he played the, the radio guy, um, Petey um, – I can't think Petey of Petey's last name. Yeah, Petey Green, and it was like, yo, wait a sec. That's Don Cheadle? What? What's going on? So, yeah, that's uh, – Everybody, for every actor that we know, for every writer that we know, for every musician whose name we know, there's there's dozens, if not hundreds, of others that are just as good who just haven't caught that break. And and you know you want to, for someone in my position, I have to be mindful of that all the time. You know, it's like I I, I am very very fortunate, and, and and it's not to say that I haven't worked hard for it, but you know. It could also all go away tomorrow. You know, something could go wrong, and and you know, next thing you know, I'm I'm in jail or something. So hopefully not. I haven't done anything wrong, but we know there's a lot of people in jail who didn't do anything wrong. 
Uh, you know, just to, just as FYI, since you speak about uh, Don Cheadle, uh, you you may or may not know this, but you might want to go to YouTube and check out a Renee and Angela video. He was a dancer, and Renee and Angela, okay. I think I'll be good. It's pretty comical. It's clearly him, and he's got he's busting moves. <laughs> he's like he's a dancer in the background of a Renee and Angela video. So yeah, oh, yeah he was, he was, he was wasn't he? I think he was on uh, he was on some episodes of what you call it, a Fresh, Fresh Prince, Prince too. Yeah, he's yeah, you know he it's it yeah he's he's and the funny thing is it's not like he's he's not like really old by any stretch of the imagination you know he's in his, his mid fifties, but yeah he's um his his career goes way like much further back than a lot of people realize, and and uh, you know that's that there ain't nothing wrong with that, but yeah like um Devil in a Blue Dress was ninety five, and I remember when he was cast in that part, at that point I knew who he was as an actor and I was like. This guy's perfect for Mouse, and and he really is. It's like one of the greatest performances um, of the last you know thirty years or so. So, so we're closing in at the end of your dental exam, <laughs> called our show. <laughs> but I, would, I, I do want to ask you this. Uh, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about Naomi. Now you again, yeah. you know, you're being very uh, gracious, but you you're hitting them out the park now. I mean, you know, Naomi in, specifically. <laughs> you know, I, I got into the character. Um, and then, you know, I'm a collector all the way around. I like art, I like the story, and I collect comics for value. And I'm on, yeah. I'm on eBay, because now eBay is basically where you speculate comic books. You know, before it used to be uh, Bob Overstreet's <laughs> guy. Now it's literally yeah. eBay. And I'm like, this, I said, what the? You know, it's out the blue. I was like, why is this book? This book is like, it's resonating on a whole different <laughs> level. So now you have, now you got you you're this guy with a classic like a it's like a uh like a uh, a Hulk 181 kind of thing going on. So so explain <laughs> that. I mean really, you were shocked on on Instagram. You you was like, "Can you believe this?" So so again, to the audience who doesn't know, you guys guys and gals listening should know about Naomi, but walk us through that a little bit and what can we see from the Naomi character? What's DC going to do with this character now? Well, uh, so Naomi is a is a character in a book that I co-created with Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, we we co-wrote it together, and then Jamal Campbell was the artist. Jamal's a brother out of Canada, and um, it was you know it's sort of the classic superhero tale. It's about a, a young woman of color who at one point witnesses Superman crash down in the middle of her town in a fight, and then he takes off, and she sort of becomes obsessed with him, and she's adopted. And you know the world knows that Superman's been adopted. He's from another planet. It gets her to wondering what her life might be like. If you know, wouldn't wouldn't it be great if she was special? And then it turns out she is. And it was you know it was a project that Brian and I had been talking about doing for a long time. It was a lot of fun because we've been friends for you know about 20 years. And but the book was a huge hit, and and we were we were we were genuinely surprised. And and I think. I think part of the reason the book was a hit was because it came out, and the reason the speculate well, the hit, it was a hit. Let's be honest, because it, it's an okay, it's a decent book. But with the speculators, I think it was because, um, you know, into the Spider Verse, and and Brian was one of the creators of Miles Morales, and and he was one of the architects of of the Ultimate Universe, and and those books kind of caught people off guard, and now they're worth a lot of money. And you know, Naomi, there was a point where like the first issue was going for five hundred dollars, 
now it's it's gotten down to a much more reasonable amount. But I'm like, oh, you know, if you're investing in comics as a way of, you know, uh, building up your your uh, retirement plan, don't do it. You know, there's, there's better ways to, uh, to 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 prepare for for you know your later years. Um, but people have really responded to it, and part of the reason they responded to it was because Brian and I sat down and talked about you know well, what were the things that we liked about characters when we were younger. And then also, what do we feel is missing from the landscape of, of, of mainstream superhero comics? And, and you know, for me, one of the things for me was that yeah, I don't need to see another – right now, I don't need to see a new superhero who's you know, an angst-ridden uh, teenage white guy. I just don't need to see it. Like that's what I grew up on. I love some of those characters, but I've seen enough of it. And then I was like, you know what? I don't even need to see a new character who's a guy because I've seen a lot of those. Um, I, I – I want to see something that would appeal to, you know, my my friends' daughters or my my goddaughters, you know, some to to not just women or young girls, also to boys, because I also think that there's this misconception that, oh, if girls like it, boys won't like it, and that's we we need to get past all that. Like if it's a good story, it's a good story, you know. Um, and so we did. We hit we hit a home run with that one. And every day, I'm like, yo, I. I'm just along for the ride. Thank you. Um, yeah, and we're gonna be doing we're gonna be doing a follow up. We're still figuring out the timing of that. DC, you know, they're doing whatever they're doing. Any chance we might see? Uh, you know, we have Young Justice as a cartoon on DC Universe. Has there been any yep. inclination to bring her into that world animation? Yeah, I you know I don't know. She's I don't honestly I don't know. Because I, I that's that's above my pay grade, you know. But I do know, you know, she's in the Young Justice comic right now, which I'm co-writing with with Brian, and and so that's sort of the stopgap of the further adventures of Naomi until we, um, you know, Jamal is is working on this incredible comic called Far Sector right now. And, oh man, um, yeah, love that book. Yeah, and and. And yeah, and so we, you know, Brian and I talked about it, and we said, you know, we don't want to do the follow up to Naomi. Um, if if Jamal's not available, provided Jamal wants to do it and he wants to do it, so we just said, okay, we're just going to wait. You know, there's no reason to bring on another artist when we love the work that he's doing so much. Um, so so there will be another you know Naomi adventure. Right now she's in Young Justice, and there's a bunch of stuff that we're we're talking about. But you know, I honestly. I'm I'm out of the loop with a lot of the stuff that's going on in DC. I'm just that guy who's like, okay, what are my deadlines? I'll turn it in, you know. Um, so you know, it's it's there. There's some stuff that happened a few days ago that I was like, what, you know? And and it's again all above my pay grade. Wow, um, Cap. Any any closeout questions? Oh, and also, sir, I got a, a Ray Murdoch show, uh, Ray Murdoch sweatshirt for you. You gotta let me know what color okay. you want it in. Uh, you know, send me oh, a DM yeah. or whatever. We'll talk. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm a man of my word. But anyway, uh, Cap, <laughs> a- any any thoughts for Mr. Walker? I think Mr. Walker did very well. We had held him long this time, so yeah, no. he got a lot. He <laughs> yeah, look, a lot out he's of got, got a lot of work. He's a lot out of. He's got a lot of work, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's a black man working. <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> BMW. So, BMW. <laughs> Um, Dave, as always, man, I, pr- I appreciate you coming through. Really do. Uh, the lines are lit. People just want to listen. I got all these numbers here, and everybody's just listening. So, um, again, let me just remind the audience, uh, pick up the hate it, contribute to it. Uh, I'm contributing to it, obviously. 
and uh, I can't wait for the book. Um, this is up right up my alley. I, I can only ima- I'm already into the movie theater personally. I'll tell you straight up. <laughs> I want to see uh, who Captain. Who's a girl that I, I, I it's a lot of women I like, but who's the woman? She she might not be good for this role. But who do I always mention? You got the toes. Uh, yeah, got well, yeah, she got have nice feet. That that goes without question. But I'm talking about uh, <laughs> what, what what's what's her name? She matter of fact, she's on um she's on that on that Fox show now. Uh, and she's in Shazam. Uh, what's her name? Ma- um, Megan Good. Megan oh, Good. Good. Yeah. Woo. I think I think she's maybe too B-list for for what you want, but she will look good in uh you know. Well, look, I can't think. I'm not allowed to speak this way. Just talk about the look. <laughs> Listen. Come on, man. It is what it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to apologize for that. <laughs> Dave, well, as always, man. We'll, we'll see. But Dale, thank you for having me on. It's always good to be around. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll talk to you again soon, and and I'll keep you updated with what's going on with the hated. We're the the campaign, the Kickstarter campaign is going really well. We hit our goals th- this uh, this afternoon, and so now everything is about raising extra money. So, because because I'm at a point where it's like I I pay everybody who works for me. You know, I'm not asking for nothing for free anymore, and uh, paying people is hard. You know, it's like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but look, but yeah, this is going to be good. Being put in that position, though, that's it, it's hard, but it's also you are you your star is rising to the point where you can do that. So I yep. think I think that's to be applauded. And again, I can't wait for it. I can't wait for su- subsequent books. And I'm already my butt's already in the theater for for not only right. the other stuff, but I'm ready for that that to be a movie. Honestly, <laughs> you know? Dave, as always, man. Well, we will see. Uh, we'll, we'll keep in always, touch. Always good to talk to you. Yep, thank you. Likewise. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dave Walker. That's it. Okay. Go to, go to Kickstarter and pick up the hated contribute to it. There's a number of different tier levels where you can get, um, you know, a digital copy as well as a hard copy and, and different covers. And look, this is, a, this is a man that's on the move. As I said, he's a, he's a consummate polymath. Uh, definitely consider, consider him a friend, a friend of the show. And, uh, we, you know, look, he's got an open-door policy because, you know, the captain was talking about it. We had him, he had him on long, Captain, because he's got a lot of hits. <laughs> you know yeah. I, mean? I mean, really, you know, come on. You know, he's we didn't talk about Frederick every, Douglass. <laughs> he's come up every long way, too. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I mean, he's, you know, this, this Kickstarter thing, look, he's got, this, he's got this comic book. It's about a black spaghetti western. So Sergio comes on. Uh, we'll bring him back, and he's still on on hold. We'll bring, him, but look, we we have people that are into the spaghetti western genre, so we could talk about Sergio Carbucci, Leone. Um, I mean, e- even uh, what, what was it? What's the? Ah, I'm always forgetting this movie with um, Sidney Poitier and Harry Be- Harry Belafonte. Let me. I know. Um, I have it on DVD. Let me bring Sergio. What's the name of that movie, Sergio? It's Sergio. Okay. Sorry, you called me? What's the name of that movie? <laughs> I know I, I didn't mean to wake you up, but what's no, the name no, of that I'm movie? <laughs> no, I'm here. Uh, the, I just literally just put down the phone when you when you mentioned my name. That was that's what happened. Okay. nineteen seventy, City Portier and Harry Willapanti Western. Buckley the Preacher. Yeah. Oh that why how like how could I forget that? See that that, that I I look at that movie. Every couple of months, over and over again, because there's there's so you few know, black 
you know, you know what the problem with that film? I don't know, but you tell me. I love it. Okay, there's a okay. It's a very entertaining movie, and I love it. I have it on DVD. I'm waiting for a Blu-ray, but there's a plot problem that has always bothered me about that movie. You can't figure out what it is. Uh, you gotta you gotta go into it. I can't think of it right now. Okay, they kill off the villain halfway through the film. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to revisit it again. Cameron Mitchell. Yeah, Cameron Mitchell, who's the, the guy, the leader of, of that gang of ex-Confederates who are, who are um, um, you know, forcing and kidnapping slaves to go back to the South. They kill him halfway through the film. I, I, I can't think of another movie where you kill off the villain halfway through the film. You always have the villain throughout the entire picture so you can give him the big send-off at the end. Hmm. You, oh, know, you know what? Now... No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Now, the film continues fine because there's a whole thing that they got to pull off a bank robbery, and then there's a whole thing with the Native Americans. But once the, the antagonist is gone, there's like a hole there. You need somebody that they can always go against until the end of the film. I'm going to have to revisit that. I know Cameron Mitchell. Cameron Mitchell's like always like a you know, very prolific character actor. And right. always playing like the heavy. He's always playing the heavy. Right. He's the heavy. He's the leader. And they have that big shootout where he gets killed. And I'm like, well, wh- where do you go from there? I, You know what? You probably have a – I'm not disputing it. You probably have a point. But it's something about – look, Ru- Ruby D, the great Ruby D, was in this. It's something about that I movie. Know. It's all that we have, Sergio. <laughs> I mean, what <laughs> other black westerns can you think of? Posse? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, I mean, oh, God, no. Oh, oh, God. Not well, look, at the time. Or, or, look, or the, as, as, you know what, or as, um, you know, Posse would have been great if it wasn't for Mario Van Peebles. Why, you know? why, why? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, come on. Oh, no. Not, that's not considered, even with Will Smith. He's the, no. Well, oh. you know, I'll, I'll bring even it he, up. Even that's oh, his yeah. lone mistake. He, he Even he admits that that thing was a messy. Oh yeah, messy. oh yeah. He's very honest about that. Boy, did he make a mistake? What film did he turn out to do that? The Matrix. What did he yep. do to turn that? He turned out. Yeah, he turned out the Matrix to do, to Wild, do Wild West. Oh man. Oh man. Because he's big. Because he's big. Matter of fact, you know what? That's the issue. We we, we keep on going around this. Mary was it the Maybush with this guy? It's it's the fact that he does not do solidly black work the way we would want him to do it. Because this, this now you're in a space now that's kind of an expectation. You keep on doing these, these Jerry Bruckheimer films. Like, you know, he needs to kind of, the one minute he had a chance to work with a black director, Tarantino, I'm saying that to be funny, but look, I have Tarantino's well, in a special place. Well, there is the film he's making that now. That would have been the closest, that would have been the closest to doing a black film is having Tarantino be your director. I would have, I would have allowed that. Well, no, there's this film he's doing now uh, with uh, Richard uh, Rashad, Rashad Ernesto Green, where he's playing um, uh, Richard Williams, the, the father of Serena oh, and yeah, Venus. Yeah. That's, okay. He, yeah. Okay, but you bring up a point. He could do another western right now. I mean, a serious mm-hmm. western. I mean. Uh, Wild Wild West was when, 20 years ago? Okay, that's in the past. People have forgotten that. The time is right. You know, he's hot again. Uh, 
you know, okay, Jenna May Man didn't work, but but uh, um, um, what's that damn movie he's in right now? Bad Boy 3 is going to do $200 million domestically. Um, Aladdin was a huge, massive hit, the biggest hit he's ever had, box office-wise, worldwide. He's hot again. Now is the time. Now hey, look, is the time for him that, to do a serious Western. But now, uh, did you see this? Did you see? Well, did you see this trailer? Overbrook is doing this trailer. Uh, to me, it looks like hot garbage. Um, matter of fact, the young, the young actor, the young actor that shoots a cop in, uh, you just mentioned. What, what is the film? Uh, Queen and Slim. It, yeah, that young actor in Queen and Slim is like the main actor in this Overbrook production thing about uh, motorcycles and stuff. Do you see this oh, thing? Oh, uh, Charm City, Charm yeah. City, something yeah, like, like that. Okay, when I saw this thing, I knew clearly that uh, the Smiths are out of touch. They're out of touch. Yeah. That's, well, I think Meek Mill's name is, comes up. And it, it, look, he was arrested because of, of uh, Papa, Wheelie, Papa Wheelie's on bikes or whatever. I, I, to yeah. me, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling it. It's, it's like a walking stereotype. Anyway, let me bring in Bison for a sec. Uh, hold okay. on, hold on. I'm going to keep your line open. Um, let's go to Bison. Bison. Hello, gentlemen. DMV. What's up, man? I'm always. I'm great. Hope all you and your family's doing well. I'm always a second or two late. I wanted to talk to him, with Mr. Walker. Wanted to just say a couple of things. Yesterday, I went to a. Um, a critical reading series at a place called Sankofa in D.C. It's owned by Howard Jarima. I think yeah. um, you know him. I actually got yes. to speak to him. He he taught me a few classes at Howard. Um, wonderful. I mean, he gave some insight. I'm not going to go into that here. But while I was listening to um, Mr. Walker speak, I'm going to say something deeper. David Walker may be the second coming of McDuffie, and we don't know it right now. So who and is that now? Is that again? I say David Walker may be the second oh, yeah. coming of McDuffie. We're thinking of the same. We're thinking yeah. the same. I thought about that this 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 afternoon. Believe it or not, we're on the same wavelength. I thought about so that. We don't, we don't. How do I say this? We love honoring our dead heroes, but scared to support black Coke. freedom fighters. That was something I heard yesterday. Coke. And this Walker's doing his thing. And he ain't sitting around waiting for, for you know, a Marvel check or whatever. He's creating what we've been talking about for forever. And I'm going to get behind this project. And, you know, I mean, I hope it does well. I hope it moves. I don't, I don't, the timeline looks. I mean, I don't know. 2021 be here before you know it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I mean, look at Bloodshot. I mean, just looking at it looks kind of janky, but hey, Valiant got it to the screen. And this is more of the things we've been talking about. Um, sort of a little energized yesterday because you know, I mean, I'm literally sitting down with a legend. You know, and he's talking about black film. He's he's literally made one of the greatest black films or films, period. Even it's been out for twenty something years. He doesn't compromise. And he said something that stuck with me yesterday. He said, "Black Americans 
are stuck in a rut of mediocrity. And they don't, when we don't cultivate our geniuses where they are. And, I, and I'm really thinking about that. And I'm just, and it, it kind of dovetails what you're talking about in regards to music and some more, and some other things. And I'm glad that some people are not waiting for the scraps off the table. They're creating their own projects, their own content. And most important thing, they're not selling out, and they're and they they have exacting standards. Because too many black creatives have been ripped off, or their projects have been stolen. Whatnot. So, you know, I'm going to support him. I wish him well. I hope his vision from the book and bitter root makes it to the screen with as little interference as possible. And I hope this his next project sees the light of day because I'm sort of tired of all the whining that we don't see our images. And then when someone creates the images, you know, people, you know, digging in their pockets and making excuses. Yeah, yeah, look, um that's one of the things that's frustrating about about uh this 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 movie that Overbrook, you know, like again, you have Will Smith who has power. You know, he's got a couple of shekels. He's got he's got a name recognition. He's got brand recognition. He and his wife, and they get behind Meek Mill and this this motorcycle movie and look, it might look, maybe they know something, maybe they know something I don't, obviously. They're in the movie business, but it seems to be kind of reductive and redundant that style of film you know another urban troubled youth you know it just it's like if it, if they were to look at, at david walker's comic book where we see a badass heroine like the same tropey black ghettoization films nobody wants to see that anymore i mean i just i just i looked at it like this is this is a big deal to people now when i saw this black western a woman, even if you had like an Angela Bassett person, now Angela's in everything, but I could see her in that kind of role. Uh, I, I think people would be would be behind it, would be so so titillating to the senses. But when I saw this motorcycle movie in Philly with Meek Mill, it's another it's another Nog movie, that but it has Will Smith connected to. Like really, this is the best we can do? It is mediocre. It looked mediocre, but when I when I see David Walker's work. No, he's written up in, in the uh, New York Times uh, for the for the narrative for Frederick Douglass, the graphic novel. You know, he's got the Naomi thing is 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 popping off. The the Bitterroot thing is popping off. Uh, so much stuff that he's doing, it, it just seems to be resonating. And this is like the ground hey. floor. These things that we're bringing to the attention. These this is ground ground floor stuff that's not supposed to work, but it's working. You tell me. Hey, Deaver. If we was in a, uh, a equal world, David Walker should be running D.C. right now. Oh, please. He got more gravitas than Dave Bedardo, who got fired. You know it and I know it. But we know what kind of world this is. We are in. But looking at his looking at his track record, and I know people don't want to say that, but Walker is, I mean, he's in that McDuffie territory. Now, I noticed during the interview some things he was kind of tiptoeing around regards to, you know, some of the things, you know, that you, he's not going to go all in as hard as you do because, you know, at the end of the day, he has to, you know, he has to take everybody's dollar. So, you know, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to push him in a corner to say certain things. But I hope the blur culture will look at what we have because, you know, we was talking, you know, people's talking all that talk about 
the uh, Padula Malaji and all these spinoffs that came from Black Panther? How many of those books are still around? Look at the books that Walker's and people in, you know, Nighthawk, Cyborg, mm-hmm. Power Man, Luke, Power Man, Iron Fist, Reboot, Shaft. These books can't get past 10, 10 issues. And people talk all that bullshit about they want to, you know, they want representation, but they don't want to pay for it. When you got somebody putting out the content, we whine it. You know, eventually, and you're going to start to see it when Feige and them, and they start to kind of clamp down on their IPs and whatnot, you ain't going to see so many. You ain't going to see no so many Riri Williams and all that sort of stuff. All that stuff going to go away. True that. They're going to go back to those core white characters. I see that within a year and a half. And the only place you're going to space you're going to find that is with the David Walkers and what they're putting out. So we better support it because it's going to with the fire and dandy dial, the deal. He wanted, he had a certain vision, but AT&T, they're about, you and finance, you know about that. They want revenue coming in. And we talking that talk, but if you look at these numbers of these books that are selling, they ain't selling. So they're going to go back to the formula that works. And the formula well, that you, works ain't, ain't you I and me keep- I want to keep you on the phone because actually I, we've got about less than an hour and there's a lot of stuff we did not talk about. So the the Dadio firing, uh, and I, I say firing in quotes because some are saying like bleeding cool. Uh, to listening audience, I'm, I'm saying like everyone knows Dan Dadio, DC co-publisher. He's been with DC for almost 20 years, 10 years specifically as co-publisher, and he was let go sometime last week. And uh, some of it, I think, is because of a conflict with Scott Snyder, allegedly. You know, Scott Snyder's behind the Batman Metal series. And um, I think he, you know, speaking about diversity and what, what we're, and David Walker and that kind of thing, um, this 5G series of DC, I'm talking in the paint. I'm talking like uh, the uncanny. 5G is basically DC's version of what Marvel did as far as, Purposely putting diverse characters in their in their comic books, so I think 5G was going to go full steam ahead under Dadio's watch, and I think there's conflicts with that. I think the folks at DC weren't comfortable in removing or kind of putting the the main white characters that we know, the Batman, the Wonder Woman's, the Superman's, like all those all those mainstream IPs were going to be kind of receding in the background and putting newer, blacker, browner, POC, women, LGB, all that stuff going on. So I think 5G is still going to happen, but maybe lesser lesser so because of the Dio leaving. And again, this guy was a pretty, this guy was a big guy, you know, and he's like fired, fired and had to leave the building with his stuff like anybody else. So I was, it's rather shocking how that went down. I don't know if we'll ever get to the truth of that. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But I want to keep everyone on, on the line. I'm not going to go to a, mu- a musical thing. I want to talk about this Dr. Jason Johnson thing. This is something I know that Sergio gets his, gets his juices flowing. Um, <laughs> now, 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 let me, now, I'm going to play, I'm going to play a clip because, you know, we, we talk a lot about comic books, and, and I, everything's tangentially connected. Dr. Jason Johnson is a political scientist. Right, he teaches at Morgan. He he does double duty at MSNBC, 
and he also is a friend of Karen Hunter, and he's like a contributor to Sirius XM through Karen Hunter, and he's a comic book guy. So he's also what? He's also at the root. He's at the root. And now it's funny how this massage noir allegation against him doesn't show up at the root. Now, isn't it, has it, I mean, unless I'm mistaken, I haven't seen any article about what went down with Dr. Jason Johnson. You know what I'm talking about, Sergio, right? Yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, you know, let's talk about it because I'm looking for the clip. I want to play the clip. But just to be more specific to the audience, again, Dr. Jason Johnson was critical uh, or is critical of the Bernie Sanders campaign. Bernie Sanders right now won Nevada, um, Democratic Socialist, and he is, I think, some of the mainstream Democrats are not comfortable with a quote-unquote socialist being the top, the front runner for their party. So you have Bloomberg, which is where uh, some may think or perceive that Dr. Jason Johnson is in the bag for our former mayor, Mayor Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg. And, um, you know, those who are critical on the other side, those who are defending, who are defending Sanders, when they say, well, we defend Sanders, but look at your guy, Bloomberg. Bloomberg is an oligarch. So when they, so they, they're kind of going back and forth. In this back and forth on MBS, as an MBS, MSNBC co- contributor, Johnson is very critical of, of the white liberal racism. So he's, 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 let, he's, he's kind of critiquing Sanders, or rather the people that surround Sanders as white liberal racists, and the black women that also bolster that, he called them misfits. When he, you can't call a black woman out of her name. <laughs> so I'm trying to find this clip. I, I don't know what to think about this thing. I really don't. I'm not necessarily a fan of Johnson, but I didn't really have a problem with what he said as far as the term uh, island of black women misfits. Black women have been called worse. Just ask Snoop Dogg. So I'm confused why they took umbrage with this. Well, first of all, first of all, and by the way, I hope you get to the passing of B. Smith, uh, which was reported oh, today. Oh, thank you. Yes, right. I'm, I'm thank you. Uh, but, yeah. but, but clearly, if you can get the the the, the video, he called it the, the island misfit black women. Okay, clearly, that was attack on Nina Turner. Clearly, he was attack on Nina Turner. After Nina Turner went after him a couple of days earlier when she referred to Bloomberg as a uh, oligarch. If you don't know Nina Turner, she's an Ohio, a former Ohio state senator from Cleveland, uh, a big Bernie Sanders person. Even back in 2016, she was out there campaigning as a sort of spokesperson for Bernie Sanders, still during the four years, now even more so. Um, and uh, known for wearing these big colorful glasses. Now she she has a short blonde afro. Okay. Clearly he's going after her because I think he didn't like being called out by her a couple days earlier. You know, have you seen Nina Turner? She's, you know, she's 
Be boister, careful. Not boister. The boister is not the is not the is not the uh, right word. But she's aggressive. She's very opinionated, and um, uh, he didn't like being called up by her when uh, call, uh, called up by her when she when she um, had objection to her calling Bloomberg an oligarch. Okay, so on the show, on the Karen Hunter show, he well, hold on. made I got that the clip. remark. Okay, I got, you got the clip. The clip. Let's okay. Get, let's, okay. Get, let's, get to, let's get to the specifics. Okay, this is um, okay. Johnson on the Karen Hunter show. Hold on. You got into a tete-a-tete, okay. um, -tete, which I didn't really agree with. I didn't like it. I didn't like to see it. I hate to see black people fighting in public. Mm. With one of Bernie's surrogates. Nina Turner. Nina, Senator Nina Turner. Mayor Bloomberg can totally finance his campaign. He doesn't have to go out to the people. He doesn't have to build a movement. He doesn't have to talk to people. He can buy his way. It is the same attitude that the elites, maybe uh, Jason likes the word elite over oligarch, but it's the same attitude that the elites had in 1930 against FDR. All of them lined up against him, and he said, I welcome your hatred, because he was standing up for the people. And that is the same message that Senator Bernie Sanders has to the everyday people of this nation that I welcome the hatred of the elite because I oh, am God. standing up for you. So cry me a river for the wealthy people in this country. You work for a candidate who's part of the 1%. I have no problem with criticizing the system. The system that allows Mike Bloomberg to make all the money that he makes, the system that allows him to buy what he wants to buy, the system that allows him to buy himself into the administration and buy himself into the debates is a problem. But to call him an oligarch, I think, is a misnomer in this environment. And again, you're working for somebody who's part of the 1%. Do you call him an oligarch? No, you don't. So first and foremost, I'm glad this didn't come up on the air. Um, I've known Nina for like 14 years, mm -hmm. right? And when I say I've actually like known Nina, like I knew her back in Cleveland, there are Instagram pictures of us saying hi together at NABJ and CBC, right? Like I've, I've had Nina's phone number, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm, I'm fond of her personally, fond of her professionally, wrote great articles about her when I was at the Chicago Defender, mm -hmm. uh, when, when everybody thought that she should run against Marsha Fudge. Okay, mm. so like I've I've been cool with Nina for a long time. I've had personal conversations with her about her support for Bernie and what I think about that and whether or not it makes sense. What actually happened on the air was she was doing an interview with Chris Matthews and she referred to Mike Bloomberg as an oligarch. And she was like, oh, we got to do something about these oligarchs, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, good. God, really? Really? Is this is this what we're doing? And so uh, the student said, hey, Jason, would you like to say something? And I said, look. This is not the kind of language that you should be using in campaigns. This is that high-minded grad school cipher crap mm. that a bunch of sort of liberal penheads want to throw out because they want to sound smart. You don't go around calling people oligarchs in America. First off, most people don't even know what the hell it means. But he is kind of an oligarch. But that's not the issue. Okay. This is he's not the only one. By definition, well, he's but, among but, a bunch of but oligarchs. But, yeah. but, but Karen, you're, make, you're making my point for me because this is about messaging. Mm. It's not about what the actual definitions are. Okay, if I want to talk about oligarchs, George Soros, Bill Gates, Tyler Perry, okay, uh, Oprah Winfrey, these people oh. are oligarchs. Definition of an oligarch is someone who is extremely wealthy that uses that wealth and power to influence government and policy. All of these people, Papa John is an in oligarch, including Bernie Sanders, including Bernie Sanders, who is also a millionaire. Hi, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And, and by the way, I don't, I don't know how you can do anything more to influence government than running for president. Don't tell me that just because he made the $2 million in his late 70s is somehow different. Raise your hand if you know anybody in your family who's got a $2 million net worth at any age, right? Mm -hmm. So that was my message 
I mean, you do. <laughs> my daddy. My hands are firmly locked like in my lap. So, right. so my point, my point, very quickly to Nina was: this isn't the kind of language you should be using. Regular people, this doesn't make any sense to them. And when you say these sorts of things, you miss speaking to regular people. Nina, I guess, misinterpreted what I was saying. She thought I was defending Mike Bloomberg. She thought. I didn't understand what an oligarch was. Neither of those things was correct. We had an intense conversation and then moved on. I have no issue with it. I have no issue with Nina Turner. However, a large number of bargain basement, pathetic, doubly intensely ignorant, bigoted white boys who masquerade as liberals, Mm. who find themselves consistently in support of Bernie Sanders online, have decided that they want to make this part of their meme. I do find it fascinating that racist liberal whites seem to love them some Bernie Sanders consistently and always have a problem with any person of color who doesn't want to follow with the orthodoxy of their Lord and Savior Bernie Sanders. When that man sat in front of several members of Black Lives Matter and told them that the reason that more black people are in jail is because they sell more drugs, I seem to remember things like that. Mm-hmm. When that man got off the stage because he didn't want to talk to Black Lives Matter and Jeff Weaver, his campaign manager, said to us, black journalists, why would Bernie want to talk to you right now given what Black Lives Matter just did on the stage because all Negroes are the same? I'm sorry, I kind of mm-hmm. remember stuff like that. The man cares nothing for intersectionality. And I don't care how many people from the island of misfit black girls that you throw out to defend you on a regular basis. Okay. It all doesn't right. mean that That's your campaign you is serious. Crossed the line, oh. I don't care. <clears throat> I don't care. Wow. I don't care. And I want to make this clear. I want to. I, I, no, I want a disclaimer. Please. It's, it's fine. Hold it's on. Fine. Hold on, Jason. The views expressed by the show's producers and its guests Jason are not Johnson. necessarily those of Karen Hunter or Sirius XM. Okay, oh, and I want to make this clear. I want to make this clear. I'm not referring to Nina Turner. Nina's doing her job. Like I said, we we had a dis- I have no issue with Nina Turner, but you have staff members Wait, on that campaign. Who's on the island of Mississippi? Who's on that island, Jason? I don't know. Probably right. somebody. Probably somebody, like, somebody who had a little difficulty uh, on CNN this morning. Uh, ooh, <laughs> probably somebody yes. had a little. All right, you get the point. A rather lengthy exchange there, but I wanted to get to the point where he said, you know, that critique of female, black female supporters of the Bernie Sanders when you, campaign. When so listen, when you listen in context, it doesn't sound that bad. You see. Kind of like something that was, uh, you know, running around before. But when you listen to just a little phrase, and you just take it out. It sounds crazy. That's just me. Well, That's just me. okay. So let, let's 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 go around this thing. I mean, I I have a, a, a number of opinions on this thing. Um, so I'll I'll kind of I'll let I'll I'll give the floor to whomever. I'm, I'm not going to go into it yet. Let, let's go back to uh, let's go to Bison on this. Bison, any thoughts about? You know, look, he, Mr. Mr. Johnson's in your haunting ground somewhat. He's, you know, he's a, a Morgan professor. He is um, on MSNBC. I mean, you know, look, he, he's uh, he's making the rounds. I, I don't really, I understand his point, but I think his point is very thin. And not about the black women part, just like this whole deal with whether Bloomberg's an oligarch or whatever. I mean, I, I don't, I'm kind of confused on what his point is. You know, but go, but or, or rather even you know, I just, I'm just I just don't get it. I don't get it. What do you what say well, you? Bison? A couple of things. A couple of things. One, pundits are all you know they're all about branding, and he's being crucified. But he's correct on a number of issues. The uh, Bernie Sanders supporters are vicious online. I've seen a lot of racism. I saw what they did to Kamala Harris. But I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to rehash that here. But um, look, I agree about ninety five percent. Ninety percent of what he said, I agree with. Um, I think we're in this age of 
you know, one and done bad comments, so they want to cancel him out. And I want to see how much um, backbone Karen Hunter and um, Sirius have. MSNBC may kind of push him back, but I have no issues with what he said. I, I think I, he's referring to Bernie Sanders' spokesperson. Her name is Brianna, Brianna something, where she sort of um, linked. I think someone's trying. They were trying to see Bernie Sanders' um, health records, and she kind of linked that to birtherism and had to walk it back. But when you see her online, I mean, when you see her give interviews, you're like, "What the hell's going on here?" I would say some things about Nina Turner, but I got to do that in private because I know some people close to the source. If you you talk to people from Ohio and they bring up the name Nina Turner, you're gonna get a whole different earful of answers. So I won't do that unless you have a after dark episode. Brianna Joy Gray. Brianna Joy Gray. So when they made reference to somebody that performed poorly on CNN, was that Brianna Joy Gray? Who was the person they were talking about that performed poorly on CNN? I don't know. They threw some shade there. So so one of those quote unquote. I can link it up unless you've seen it already. She I haven't um, seen it. She sort of she was speaking in regards to Lincoln. It was pushing on Bernie Sanders not showing his um, health records and sort of linked it to Trump and taxes and some other stuff. So I'll I'll try to find that and, and link it to you on um, on Twitter. So that's who he's referring to. But basically, what he's saying is that the Bernie Sanders campaign online, which he doesn't have any control over, but he can send out a the tone is very hostile, you know, anti whatever, insert whatever you want into it. And the Sanders campaign has very little representation when it comes to black people. No black men, mostly black women, a couple. You see the two that were named we named already, but who else? So that's I think what he's that's what he's referring to. And they seem to be sort of I'm trying to use the right words here. They seem to be loose cannons, and you know they not they haven't really been sort of pulled back yet. They sort of just shooting wildly and saying whatever. And he's one of the few people that push back on it, and he he he, he catching as they say he's getting that smoke right now. Uh, Sergio, any thoughts on this? Well, as I said before, I, I, I clearly I think what he said was a shot against Nina Turner. Um, uh, I think he got overheated, and I think he got kind of over-emotional. First of all, you have to understand, MSNBC is is definitely anti-Sanders. I mean, Chris Matthews right now is in major trouble. Uh, people have been calling for his resignation because he uh, compared Bernie Sanders and, and uh, his, particularly his supporters to Nazi stormtroopers. Oh, yeah. Yesterday or the day before yesterday, so he's in hot water. MSNBC is very much against Bernie Sanders. Now you can be for Bernie Sanders or, very, or against him, but um, they don't like him. And uh, I think that um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, 
uh, the guy we're just talking about, Jason Johnson. Jason Johnson. Yeah, Johnson. Right. I, I think he's very much in that tank. I know uh, Joy and Reed is very much. He's always been anti-Sanders. Back in 2016, she was really nasty to him. They don't like him. They think he's going to disrupt the, the status quo. Um, um, I, I think, though, in this case, that Johnson is a mountain over a molehill. Um, I'm kind of com- mixed about Johnson. I've seen him a bunch of times. Sometimes I think he's really on point, and sometimes I think he's talking out of his hat. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know he has been I, – I know Tariq Nasheed is not a fan of his. He's been on Tariq's show, or they've done an interview. He's not a fan of his. Um um, and the other thing, if you notice that all these candidates, well, not all of them, but they always have some black women. You got Nina Turner for uh, Sanders. You got that black woman for Buttigieg. And then, of course, uh, Biden has Simone Sanders, uh, um, you know, that big chick with the linebacker shoulders who used to be with <laughs> Biden I know last time. <laughs> but now I call like I see it. And now she's. You know, I just saw her today trying to spin what happened in Nevada yesterday. So, um, you know, they all have a black woman out there speaking for them. And you can make the argument that maybe sometimes they don't do it as well as they should, you know, but um, there you go. But uh, is, is Johnson in trouble with MSNBC? I don't think so. I think he'll be back on, you know, this week sometime. Um, Captain, any thoughts about all, all of this or any of this? And then I'll, get, I'll weigh in briefly. No, not at all. You just go right ahead. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be brief. Uh, what, what comes to my mind on this, on this and, and this is from someone who has studied politics and was you know, involved in a, on the Democratic side early on, and then switch to, to Republican, and now I think uh, I'm in a quagmire because I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, I've always considered myself fairly a fairly centrist person. You know, all good things in moderation, I should say, as they always say. But in this particular case, it, it's kind of confusing because when, when Sergey was talking about MSNBC, look, NBC, MSNBC is really, if there was any evidence now, not that it wasn't before, but let's say there's evidence now. There's a lot of evidence to show that MSNBC is like the Bizarro Fox. <laughs> MSNBC is like the is the Bizarro Fox Channel, because all of the critique that Fox gets for being uh, propagandist and you know just a, just just a talking just a talking piece for this particular president. Well, we clearly see that. Um, MSNBC is very much into the corporatist lane. Like now, you see, you know, now who's reporting news? Now, you know, look, media has, has always been slanted, but you at least try to mask your slant. They're not really masking their slant because now they want to go with Bloomberg. Last time I checked, Bloomberg, he, he is whatever you want him to be. <laughs> okay, he has been a, he he ran as a Republican in New York, then he became a independent. Now he's a Democrat. So, I, I you know, I'm confused on that. So you clearly see they have a they have an angst 
toward Bernie Sanders. They really do not. You, you, you can see now that this is where you're going to see someone like uh, Donald Trump really capitalize on this confusion as to what the Democratic Party is supposed to stand for. Because if you get Sanders in there, Sanders seems like a perfect foil for Trump. But at the same time, Trump's going to keep on labeling this, labeling this guy as a socialist and anti-American. And Trump has somehow been able to usurp the populist lane. So you got populism versus populism and a kind of nationalism. You know the nationalism that we really want to say, but be that as it may. He said he's a nationalist. We didn't say what kind of nationalist, but I think we all can agree on what kind of nationalist he really is. But you got a populist slash nationalist versus a, a socialist. Um, that's that's going to be something that's going to play play very well as entertainment, and it's going to be very divisive. And now we we see some of the some some of the uh, polling on on Trump. Trump seems to be surging. So you know, all all of what had happened has happened with this impeachment, and that not being able to take. Now he comes out. He can come out and talk and, and spin this thing around. He can talk about uh, commuting sentences. I mean, it's a, it's a whole bunch of nonsense going on with, with Trump. So I don't know how this. I don't know how this bodes well for the Democrats. Um, well, I think you know since I'm in Chicago, you know, of course, the news about Robert Gorevich has been huge for the last few days. Um, for those of you who don't know, Robert Gorevich was one time governor of Illinois, and um, he was sentenced to prison for corruption charges. Among them, one of trying the, to sell Obama uh, Senate seat. Obama seat, yeah. Right, for a million dollars. One of the persons who tried to buy it, uh, but he couldn't raise the money, was Jesse Jackson Jr. They sent him to federal. They sent him to prison on a different charge. Uh, he and his wife. Um, they're both out now, but too busy trying to buy Michael Jackson gloves and paraphernalia. Last time I checked, but well, go that, ahead. That's bootleg. That was bootleg Michael Jackson memorabilia. <laughs> Turned out to be phony. Um, and so bootleg, you know, bootleg, he, bootleg or bootleg, <laughs> bootleg, bootleg. <or> <laughs> And then, you know, so Bogorovich is back. It's been big news everywhere. Uh, we used to call him here Elvis because at the time he had the black hair. Now it's all white. And he's on TV. I'm sure you probably, I don't know if you saw that interview with um, Anderson Cooper where um, uh, Bogorovich compared himself, believe it or not, to Nelson Mandela and Dred Scott. You know, I mean, it's like it's called itself a, a political prisoner. I see resemblance, but let me let me say this. I see that already. Um, that Houston wants to chime in. He, he wants to try to save his dear Democrats. And, and, and look, I, I'll be the first to say this. I I I have no love for Donald Trump, not whatsoever. But I'm I'm more of this is what it's like to be a classic black person. What do I mean by that? Classic blacks. The ones that were able to create, you know, the Charles Drews, the Thomas Hale, the Thomas Hale Williams, uh, you know, um, uh, the W.E.B. Du Boises, those black folks, they persevered under truly dire circumstances. 
You know, we Woodrow Wilson was a, was the president at one time, and I, I'm at the point now where again we had David Walker on here, David and and the captain referenced it, um, and, and Bison referenced it. We're at the point now where we need to be about finance. We need to be we we need to be more clear about trying to do business with business with each other, because I I have said this before, the wealth of white racism, the well of white supremacy runs so deep that there's a I've been in, I've been in a company of people where I've spoken very negatively about Donald Trump about um objective issues with sub, with with Donald Trump. I'm not talking about subjective. I'm talking about objectively he he's done some things where he, he clearly is you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. And these folks who happen to be white, they don't say anything. So I'm like, oh, okay. So what's ha- so, what, so what you're saying, what you're seeing now is that even some Democratic white people are kind of, sort of, really going to vote for Trump, or they're being very quiet. There's this hidden, hidden minority of people who won't say anything, are going to be very quiet. And they're going to pull the lever for Donald Trump. Donald Man, Trump is Donald Trump is, is is a bizarro Malcolm X of white people. Is this, I'm just, I just I mean, look, we have uh, pro- truly progressive, fair-minded uh, white listeners. They're not the problem, but there's a group of white people. And and truth be told, let me be fair. There's going to be a subset of black people, even black black men maybe not so small a number, that in spite of Donald Trump not really being um, capable, they like that masculinity. It's a, it's a call of the wild. And that call of the wild, even from an a-hole, resonates for some reason. Like, even though he's a, even though he's a, a racist, he still is masculine and says what, you know, he's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to speak his mind. And we're at a point hey, now. You're talking about. You're t- hold on, you're talking about Uncle Hotep. Well, hold on. No, 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 no. I'm talking about not even him. Uh, uh, there's a whole roster. There's a whole roster of black male Trump supporters, and people are trying to figure out why. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you why. We saw that with what happened with with uh, Snoop Dogg. We're kind of seeing it with Jason Johnson. Like I don't really agree with with, with Johnson. But the part where he said, use the term um, island of misfit black women, it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, you can't say that. You know, it's, it's like, what? So you can't critique a black woman without any, like, you can't critique a black woman under any circumstances. Because what's going to happen is that's misogynoir. You, you are, you are uh, misogynistic vitriol. So, I, I, you know, you're going to put up that cat, you're going to put up that shield. You can't you can't put up a shield when you mess up all the time or where there's a difference of an opinion. Like anytime you you disagree with a black woman, it's gonna come up to her gender and it's gonna come up to you like we she we can never have a we can never have a discussion. I'm not saying he used the right language, but at the same time, I think a black woman would opt to be a misfit than a bitch. <laughs> and we've been seeing we've seen clear misogyny for thirty forty years, and you can't handle misfit. I don't know. I'm I'm just confused on it. I think black. I think 
also the fact that the Democrats have been uh, kind of creating a a rift by saying that, well, the heart of the Democrat Party, the the heart of the Democrats winning is going to be on the black woman. The black woman is is going to be necessary for the – I mean, like, like black men don't count. Like the difference between black male, black men and black women, black men and black women voting, it's a few percentage points. So it's not like, it's not like black, it's not like black men aren't there for Democrats, okay? But as long as they keep that narrative of putting the black woman in front, it's going to turn off black men. You're not being treated as equal partners. You're kind of put to the side. So I think there's a lot of issues going on in the black community that other groups, mainstream, and even mainstream, is they're capitalizing on this rift, and they're making this rift even more more pronounced. What happened with the Jason Johnson pejorative, what happened with the Snoop Dogg pejorative, it speaks to a larger issue that people are able to kind of play on, that black men and black women have issues with each other, and we're playing it out publicly. So now, anytime you have a criticism of black women, you're going to have an Oprah Winfrey say, oh, well, that's misogyny. Why are you? How dare you speak to us that way? All right, well, so, when, so when can we speak to you if you mess up? Because black men are very uh, used to being the, the, the problem for everyone. <laughs> the black male problem has been called the black male problem for damn near 50 years. I'm just saying. Let me bring in, let me bring in Q Storm because I think he may think differently. I'm just calling it like I see it. Q-Storm. Yeah, um, I'm good. I'm good. By the way, this goes back to your interview. The, the Shaft comic book, I, I felt like I finally uh, latched onto something that I could, I could happily look forward to reading every month. The artwork was great. The writing was great. I'm still disappointed that that book uh, went away. Anyway, um, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not seeing what you just said about black women, black women being put in front of black men in terms of this uh, this democratic nomination process. Everything I'm hearing is about okay, whoever wins in South Carolina, uh, they must secure the black vote. I just hear the black vote. I don't hear the black female vote. And that, I, that's all I'm going to say about that. My question is, can anyone explain to me? And I, I consider myself someone who follows politics. Pretty closely. What the hell happened to Biden since Iowa? I, I don't. I still don't understand. He was the pretty much the front runner going into the primaries, and he Donors was fight well, all of his gaffes. He no, was my I tell guy. You what, happened. what happened was a he he's run a lousy campaign. Number two, he's um, unenergetic. Uh, too many gaffes. Um, it seems he's going through the motions. There's no excitement there. I'm not even sure he really wants it. I think he's running because he thinks he has to. But there's no enthusiasm there. That's what's happening with him. And as a result, he's let all these other people come and take over. Now, in the case of Sanders, there's been a lot of mistakes, too, on the Democratic front, uh, if, if, you're, if, you, if you're not crazy about Sanders. Uh, it, the same analogy for, for Trump four years ago. It's the exact same analogy. You have this guy who's an outsider, was never part of the mainstream. People always ignored him. He caught on to a movement uh, 
that people ignored, and then before you knew it, it turned around and it has taken over everything. And the Democrats could have stopped them early on, but they didn't because they think it wasn't going anywhere. Seemed like the GOP could stop him, couldn't go any, and, and it was too late. Also, you got way too many candidates, like the GOP four years ago. You got way too many candidates, all of them trying to fit into a slot. None of them can do it. And all of them ignored the other guy, who they figured wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh, and and answer your first question, I hear that all the time about black women. Black mm-hmm. women are the voting block of the Democratic of the Democratic Party. Black They're women, the saviors. Black, They're the saviors. Yeah, black black women that. And I keep saying, what about black men? So black men don't vote. It's don't always count. black women. We don't count. I hear that. I heard it today. They say it all the time. Black women this. Black women that. So we're chopped liver. We don't exist. I don't know. I, 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 all I can say is this. I get my news from CBS, CNN, and Fox News Sunday and Meet the Press. I'm not hearing specific references of black women. I'm just hearing about the black vote. That's all. Trust that's me, all I, that. I don't no, know. No, I, look, I'm not, I'm not, look, I understand your experience, but I'm telling you clearly, it has become a, it is a meme for the last year. Matter of fact, yeah. it, really, it, really did, it really started from uh, uh, the, the Alabama camp. That, well, I'm going back, yeah. way back. The Alabama, okay. the Alabama thing. With uh, what was it? The the pedophile that uh, they, no, they were uh, well, you're to... talking about Roy Moore and yeah, right. I forgot the guy who won. I can't remember his name. Right, but Roy, Roy Moore, Roy Moore was look. There were people. That's a, another evidence of we cannot underestimate how certain people really feel about Trump. Because Roy Moore, they were comfortable. All those stories about this creepy, this creepy man lurking the malls. For, for underage girls didn't deter for, deter him from being a threat. In other words, he was treated seriously, even by women. Okay, but but what happened was he lost that campaign, and it's because of a large voter turnout by black women. Ever since then, there's been this constant meme, constant branding of black women are the same. Like you know, uh, everyone, you're not going to win this unless you kind of. Bow at the feet of black women in, in the Democratic Party. I mean, just Google black women or black women savior Democrats. That's all. That's like a whole theme, Q Storm. Trust me. I mean, I've been hearing I this for the last when, year and a half. I remember when Kamala Harris was running. I I read articles and saw on TV. Well, Kamala Harris is going to go far because of that black women vote. Black women are going to put Kamala Harris to the top. And I go like, well, what the hell's going on? Well, wait, you guys. Got, well, uh, okay, so so Debra, you just gave me an anecdote about black women preventing Roy Moore from uh, securing the the gov was well, the governorship in Florida. Right. And it's true that black women outnumber black men. So what do you expect? No, but look, what happened was if you run the numbers, it might have been something like I'm I'm being serious. It might have been something like uh, maybe five percent percentage points. In other words, like, if, 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 if the black female vote in Alabama was, let's say, 95, black men were probably like 90%. So, yeah, there was, a, there was an uptick towards black women, but it wasn't so demonstrably different where, where you have to kind of just say, oh, it's all about black women, when it's like 95, 90, uh, 90, 90, 94, 92, 91, something like that. 
you know, even eighty nine, ninety four, or something like that. It wasn't enough to just say to just discard black black women. Um, what matter of fact, when 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 Sergio talks about uh, Senator Harris and um, Simone Sanders, Simone Sanders went when black men were questioning. Matter of fact, it goes even to um, what's his name from from a Two Live Crew, who has a little bit of believe it or not, he's a nog, but he has power in Miami. He came out with some kind of op-ed. Who was the the, the lead rapper? Um, Luke for... Campbell. Luke Campbell. Luther Campbell. Yeah, Luther yeah, Campbell. Yeah, you can look this up. Luther Campbell wrote a piece about this this, this kind of being leery of Senator Harris. Um, Sanders came in and said, "Black men are going to get you know really very angrily chastising black men specifically. Like you black you nogs, but you black male nogs better pipe down." A sister's talking. It was very ill. I know. I know that. Um, I know that Sergio remembers this. I think you brought it up a couple of times. Simone Sanders got in the face. Uh, really got into this whole thing of black men. You know, you're supposed to fall in line. This is a black woman. A black woman's running yeah. for president, and some black men were somewhat. Even the Oracle. You know, we. I, I look. I'm. All, I, I'm. I'm very basic. Her feet and attracted this as she went to HB, HBCU. I was on board. Sergio was not on board. The Orca wasn't on board, believe it or not. Black, some black men did not do well with, for some reason, they didn't, they didn't jive well with Harris. No, no, but, you got me wrong. No, 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 you got me wrong. I'm on record. I was never for Kamala Harris. I was no, never thinking. for Kamala Harris. I, I thought, I'm saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying yeah, oh, sorry. I, I misheard. No, mis- okay, sorry. No, I said, I, said, I said you and my father, the Oracle. Oh, were you very, and your father. Uh, okay. Yeah, we're, well, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a reptile. <laughs> I just like the way she looks. And she went to HP. She went to a second H- HU. So I was ready to go. I was ready for her to, oh, to, to oh, do her oh, thing. Oh. <laughs> I was ready for her oh, to go. Oh, I was ready. I think y'all get. I think y'all kind, of, y'all kind of bouncing all over the place on this, um, and I'm not going to get into the revisionist history thing. Kamala Harris was she's out of race for two reasons: one, her campaign was disorganized, and two, money. Everything else is bullshit. Yep. All right, second, right. let's go back to what we talked about now. Black women are put up front because that's what the DNC and the media and the parties that be wants that narrative. They want Thank the narrative you. that black women drive. The black community may drive the political discourse in the black community. Now I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna say it here. I'm gonna say it now. Uh oh. The number of black men who are gonna vote for Trump is gonna go up. Mm. I agree with that you. Anything, that anything but blue thing will not fly. Black men in the South, from a certain persuasion, will not vote for a black. I mean, for a homosexual candidate. Let's just be out front. And say that, okay? And over a certain age, I don't think they're gonna go for Bernie because you look, you gotta pay for this stuff. You know, you can't just look. You can't just flip the table and say, "Well, we'll turn everything over." If the Senate and the House flip back to the GOP, they're gonna do what they did to Obama in the second term. They're gonna sit on everything. And here's another thing: Sanders and a couple others, their states have Republican governors. If Sanders gets the nomination, he has to resign from the Senate. And guess what? That governor who, who's going to finish out that term, he's going mm-hmm. he's going to put in another Republican. So the numbers are even going to be more dire for the Democrats. 
So yeah. I mean, I'm not going to see. I don't. I don't have a crystal ball. But unless massive voter turnout comes out, if Sanders is a nominee, the backward effect is going to be Trump wins, and he gets Congress. And I think you know. Look, I don't have a crystal ball, but that can happen. Look, so I was I'm around. Look, I, I remember I was around in 1972 when George McGovern ran against Richard Nixon. And George McGovern was, for better or worse, the Bernie Sanders of his time. And Nixon in 1972 was not popular, and we still had the Vietnam War going on, and Watergate hadn't happened yet. And Nixon won 49 out of 50 states in the election. He destroyed... He destroyed McGovern. McGovern didn't win his own state. He destroyed the Democratic Party. It, they, it took him forever to bounce back. I'm telling you, I can see this coming. Look what happened in England three months ago when you had Boyce Johnson, one of the most hated, most despised persons uh, who's running the, 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 uh, the Conservative Party, and he had to call an election, and the Conservative Party destroyed labor. They destroyed him, despite Boris Johnson, who you don't elect for. You, you don't elect the prime minister. But Conservative Party won the most seats. And the reason why is because people said, I hate Boris Johnson, I hate Brexit, but Jeremy Corbyn, the head of the Labor Party, scares me. And Jeremy Wait. Corbyn is literally worse than Bernie Sanders. He's let, more let, radical let, than Bernie Sanders. Let, 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 me, let me cut it here because we've got about seven minutes remaining, but I, I, you make a very good point that some of the things that we noticed in Britain, Brexit, some of the, the, the uh, encroachment of, of – uh, the, the encroachment or perceived encroachment of um, immigrants, uh, the nationalism that – I mean, there's, you know, we try to think that we're so different than the U.K., but you know, if what's happening in the U.K., another Western nation that really birthed us, when things go down in a certain direction, if Boris Johnson – Boris Johnson may be a foreshadowing of Trump, too. And I'm glad Sergio brought that up. I hate to say it, because I'm no fan of Trump, but I, you, might see, you might be shocked that people are going to vote this man back in. As hated as we think, as hated as we think, see, the problem is we are in our own bubbles. And I think there's, there's a hidden agenda of people who they, will, they, they won't say anything or they're going to lie about about their affinity for Trump. There's a lot of hidden racism on top of the racism that we are that we're seeing. Well that's what happened four years ago. That's what exactly what happened four years ago. Why wouldn't Trump win? Why 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 wouldn't he win? win? Well that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. I I don't I don't think I don't think he well look, I think he's going to win because I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of lying going on about how people really feel about what he represents. I think uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of confusion on the side of the Democrats. You start to see that the Democrats, the Democrats, first of all, aren't that aren't that um, markedly non-racist than these than these uh, than these than these uh, conservatives. When you see the the hidden language, the hidden audio on Bloomberg, he sounds just like Trump. You know, well, uh, lazy black before. lazy lazy black men. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, red redlining. You know, you shouldn't have ever gotten rid of redlining. I mean, you, look what he sounds like. Trump. He, he he's a softer Trump. 
it's it's still white people being racist. I mean, so, so, I said before, as I said before, last time I was on this show, black voters, it happens time and time again. We see these white politicians who use anti-black language, rhetoric, and actions to get themselves voted and stay in power until the time when they need black votes again to win. We see it time and time again. Black people are always forced with this choice. Who should we vote for? The out-coat stone stone racist or the guy who's like slightly kind of less racist? Who should we vote for? And what's going to happen... I think it's probably what's going to happen four years ago. Black people are not going to vote. Last Four years ago, black votership dropped 6%. That includes black men and women. It dropped 6%. That's what caused Hillary Clinton to lose. I can see black voter turnout dropping even more this year. 8%? That could be enough. That would be definitely enough to get Donald Trump reelected again. Look, and I'm not I, just talking I, about black men not voting, even black women as well. I just know the way things are reading on, on social media, and we don't want to admit that social media is also a component in this thing. I mean, we've we got so many, so many different dynamics going on that, that was, were not there, you know, 10 years ago. Now everyone has a voice, literally. You know, you can spout off something on YouTube, and it goes viral, and it has impact. So uh, when you see that, you know, when you, when you think of um, the Democrats supposed to, supposed, to, supposed to have some kind of moral high ground, and yet we remember in 2016 with Hillary Clinton and some of her shenanigans, where these, you know, they're, they're giving her questions, and they're, they're purposely trying to oust Sanders out of that, out of that, out of his perch, we're seeing those same kind of machinations going around, too, that he's clearly the front runner, and they're uncomfortable with that. The, the corporates, the moderates, they don't like this guy. So you, you got confusion on the left. And, you, and if, whatever you may think about the right, the right are very consistent with their mes- messaging. They don't have that confusion. Okay? They say, I'm with the white guy. That's, what, that's just what it is. And on the left, we don't know what's going on on the left. That's how you end up having this guy end up having a round two. And his numbers are actually moving. When you go to work tomorrow, people, remember, most of you, who owns that company? Most of you, not all of you, not all of you. Here we go. Trump, again, get ready. <laughs> it's not going to be easy. I think, people, I think people are so believing that this guy is so absurd and so... Uh, Unintelligible. I mean, I mean, look. look it, it's clear he it, he lies in the thousands of times. Like, like the. But you, we've accepted this. We, he's been able to normalize his inadequacies. So, I don't see any reason why he won't get around too. I don't think. I don't think it's clear. I don't. I don't think it's clear that the Democrats are going to pull this off. It's unfortunate. No, I don't think that the, I, I don't. I don't think that I don't see how the Democrats are going to pull this off either. But once again, keep one thing in mind: politics is a weird game. It could change in a minute. You can see time and time again. It, look what happened with Biden. Biden was the guy. Now Biden's not the guy. Uh, look what happened in. I always bring up the thing with Chicago. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, our mayor, at one time was in ninth place. She was in ninth. Place. She didn't have a shot to become mayor. 
and look, she's mayor today. Things, and that's because of a scandal that happened that, that involved some of the other candidates. Anything can turn on a dime. So six months from now, it could be a completely different story. Six months from now, uh, who knows? M- maybe Kobachar could be the number one. You never know. Donald Trump could be say, incapacitated. Let me say this Anything quickly. Anything can happen in six months. Let me say this quickly Man, because God. I, I want to extend it. Um, Cap, I want to extend it for about ten minutes because I do want to mention B. Smith, who was a native New Yorker, and I, like uh, Sergio mentioned, I actually went to a restaurant many years ago. Lovely woman, very, very uh, beautiful. I mean, she was a model, restaurateur. I mean, B. Smith was like the it place as far as New York City restaurants. And it, it was very, um, very heart-wrenching, to, you know, through, through her, her kind of going into her illness. And the fact that she, you know, look, she, she just turned 70. So when, she, when we first heard about her getting this ailment, I think she was like in her late 40s, early 50s. So um, this early-onset dementia, you, you know, it's one thing to hear about it when someone's at an advanced age. But she got this really when she's really a young woman. And a young, successful woman. And then as of late, I think we might have even covered it, it became a little bit more precarious because uh, B. Smith's husband was with, has another girlfriend, had a girlfriend while caring for his wife presently. Now, you know, she's out of her mind, respectfully, you know, she's out of her mind, and she, he has this woman with her. Now, I don't think he should have made that public, but it went, he went public with it. And he was critiqued for that, and he even got some death threats. So towards, towards the latter end of her life, there was this kind of controversial move that her, that her husband did. But now she has passed. But with a heavy heart, once again, we have another uh, terrific black person who, who was quite phenomenal, who, you know, just it's a tragedy when someone, you know, dies young. But you know, just the way that she died, you know, that, that kind of progression downward. Dementia in like late forties, man. You lose your mind that you you don't never want to lose your mind. Um, you know, it's just. It's and by just, the way, uh, can, can I mention one other person who passed away about two weeks ago, Paula Kelly? I think we did mention. Um, that. Yeah. Many people may not know who she is, but in the late sixties and seventies, Paula Kelly was one of the most phenomenal dancers on Broadway on television. Extraordinary legs. She had the longest legs of anybody you've ever seen. Gorgeous woman. Um, I think the cinematographer Richard Klein, who shot a couple movies she's made, said she was the most beautiful woman he ever photographed. I, I mean, mean, this inc- beautiful sister, with, always with an afro, um, appeared in many movies. Uh, of course, Sweet Charity. She's in the um, uh, Andromeda Strain. Uh, 1969, I, you're hard-pressed to think, what's the first time you saw a sister in a science, fi- in a science fiction movie? And she has a prominent role in that film. She may call her one of the heroines in that movie. And she was in Trouble Man. She appeared later on, did a lot of, lot of work in television. She's in Soylent Green. And she passed away uh, at the age of 77. I didn't know even she was that old. Um, about two weeks ago. And just go on YouTube and just watch her just dance, you know. Yeah, we, oh, we, we, I believe I believe we mentioned uh, Paula, Paula Kelly. There's a, okay. there's a number of people that are, that are leaving us, and um, yeah, I, I also wanted to mention something else. You know, it's funny. Like again, we have B. Smith, 
passing on from dementia at 70, and then you have Sidney Poitier that just turned 93, and he appears to be fine. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Carter. Don't forget like, Harry what? Belafonte yeah. is still going. Around. Yeah, he's in his 90s. He's in his 90s, and he's very fiery and very with it. And you have uh, uh, Jimmy Carter, who is like 96, and is also. I mean, you, look, you, you can you never know, but that's one thing I pray is to be able to still have my mind in advanced age. If you have your mind, you're good. As long, if, as long as you have your mind, hell, you have people that, that are, have their minds at 100. And then at 30 years, your junior, or in her case, she was losing it in like 49, 50. So um, I don't know. It, it, it's a horrible thing. And wh- one more thing I want to mention as well, and I think I have to give uh, a hat tip to Sergio on this, Captain Edward, Ed, Dwi- Ed Dwight. Captain Ed Dwight. I, I did not know about this gentleman, but I was able to go to a – a New York Times, I believe it was a New York Times video piece where he was interviewed in December. Now, Captain Ed Dwight is one of those individuals that should have, shoulda, coulda, woulda. <laughs> and I say that respectfully. And it goes to tell you the times that, we, that, we, that, that were back in the 60s. He was supposed to really have been the first African-American in space. He was a test pilot in the 60s. And he tells this story where, look, he really had the – he really had the chops, a square-jawed gentleman. Um, that guy looked like he was going to be the dude, but when President Kennedy died, you know, that's when you've you got to have someone there to kind of open the doors for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was killed, all of a sudden the enthusiasm of having that representation diminished, and then he ended up leaving the space program. But uh, again, he passed all the But tests. he became an artist. Well, I was going to get to that. He, yeah. he he became a sculptor and a, a quite prolific sculptor with uh, like hundreds of notable sculptor, sculptors all over the country, sculptures all over the country, uh, some garnering like $100,000. So, I mean, you know, he, he's got his own studio in Colorado. So he still became something, obviously. Went, went to uh, – got his MFA. Uh, you know, but look, he still – you could still you could still see the anguish on his face when he talks about – you know, he, he he studied engineering. I mean, again, when we talk about these these um, black men and black women that had a certain intellect, that had the talent, and you know, he tells the story where he, clearly there were there were there were white people in tow around him that did whatever they could to make sure that he would not make it. So, Captain Ed Dwight who's still with us, 86 years old, 87, and still very uh, learned, very prolific, got his, has all of his senses, all of his faculties, but he still can, he talks about, you know, being edged out for the NASA program like it happened yesterday. And, and by the way, right. I, w- I want to mention very, very, very quickly, this one great documentary is on PBS right now called Hollywood's Architect, the Story of Paul Williams. If you don't know who Paul Williams is, Paul Williams is one of the master, biggest, most important architects in Southern California and eventually around the country in the 20th century. He designed the homes for many of the biggest movie stars, including Cary Grant and Frank Sinatra, uh, public spaces, uh, public buildings, uh, department stores, uh, a brother, right? Uh, He died in 1980, the age of 85. And all these homes are now classics. Bob Iger, who runs Disney, 
lives in a Paul Williams house he, that he's refurbished, right? And uh, this is a guy who designed the Beverly Hills Hotel, yet he was not allowed to stay in the hotel. Wow. You know? Yeah, I, designed, I, remember, I, remember, I, remember, I remember Paul Williams. Yeah, I do remember Paul, Paul Williams. Williams. But you're going to love this documentary because the documentary at the end ends with students at the architectural school at Hampton University. Well, of course. And he interviewed these young students who are following in the footsteps of Paul Williams. And I said, I got to tell D Bird about this because they interview several of these students. They talk about their projects they're, they're involved in because I didn't know, I guess you know, that Hampton University has an architectural school. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I know, I know intimately because I have friends that were. The, the part that was crazy about um, my friends that were studying architecture is that, you know, many of us were out in four years. Those guys had to do five years. So the architecture school, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, to get a BS in architecture at um at hampton it's five it's a five-year program and that's that's like what i always remembered about those students but yeah i i wouldn't be shocked that hampton hampton's name comes up because um they have a pretty big they have a pretty big architecture program over there so i'm yeah, very he did I'm glad some me. buildings for howard university okay. and um that's what now you messed up go ahead no, i'm sorry go ahead <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> but but um uh you can go to PBS SoCal or PBS KCET uh if you want if you like to stream it see it online. It's only an hour long, but um uh it's a great doc- it's a really terrific documentary. If you don't know Paul Williams and you don't know where his work and sadly many of these buildings are being torn down and being lost. All these incredible fantastic homes um are being lost. So, you know, there's a great effort to track them down uh, because he designed so many buildings and many of the records are lost because of a fire. So, uh, well, actually, more accurately, because of the 1992 L.A. riots. So uh, there's an effort to try to find these homes and preserve them and get them on the, um, on the landmark list because this is, this is a historical black legacy, which, like so many black legacies, is being lost or forgotten. Wow. All right, look, gentlemen, I think that's it. We still didn't get a chance to um, – there's a lot, of, a lot of other topics we really didn't get a chance to get into, but um, – we will have to address it on Wednesday's show. We didn't talk about the uh, Westworld Season 3 trailer that looks quite interesting. We didn't talk about Hunters. I'm actually digging Hunters, although I will say, I mean, I know that Sergio may think differently because it's a Jordan Peele executive produced <laughs> thing. The only thing I will say about Hunters is that it, they seem to be biting a lot from Tarantino. It's got a lot of Tarantino-isms in it. But other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit, actually. All right. Um, well, you see, look, now you may be curious to see it now. No, yeah, you, you'll like it. It's, it's, look, it's 1970s. 1970s Nazi, Nazi hunters with, like, some black power mixed in with it. Uh, oh, it, really? It's, uh, it's in the 70s? Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a yeah, period yeah. thing. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah, 1977. You know, oh, it's, okay. it's 19, 19, 1977, New York. Uh, obviously, it, there's a mentioning of Son of Sam and... It's 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 quite good. Al Pacino, oh, Al Pacino as a Jewish person, I'm not sure about that. I don't know why they well, couldn't get a Jewish. Well, because I, I, from friends, aside from you, 
from friends I know who have seen some of the episodes. They didn't like the show. They didn't like the show. Really? So, uh, yeah, they didn't like it. Uh, one friend of mine actually uh, quit after the first episode. So uh, I said, well, gee, this must not be so good. But you like it, and if it's period and it's Tarantino-ish, Tarantino-esque, I'll, I'll, I'll bite. I'll take a look at it. Yeah, okay. it's, it's violent. It's, 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 it feels like Tarantino. Y'all let okay. you decide, but I, I kind of dig it, to be honest with you. Okay. On that note, as always, uh, I want to thank David Walker for doing his thing, stopping by, very, very um, eager about the hated. I'm very eager about what we may see from uh, The Bitter Root, The Bitter Root film. And going out on Danny Lay, Danny Lay featuring Kess, All I Know. See you on Wednesday, 7 p.m. It's been real, as always. I know I can't afford to stop for a moment that it's too soon to you. You wanna lay up all the time, I don't mind. But I need my freedom compromise, and I've been by your side. But I need faith right now. Got my mind and my money, gotta hustle cause it's gold time. Oh!